0: I wouldn't mind uh, rolling Wilson out of the third line dropping Hodgson maybe maybe dropping I like mean off, Hodgson, off Hodgson Wilson no well I mean not off the team he could stay in, in the press box but basically it's more of having Wilson and Hodgson like have to fight for ice time every night like they have to literally literally, like they have to wrap their hands in hockey tape and fight on the, the crest before every game so what about Arvidsson um, and then play Arvidsson um, just in the top six let, let him just shoot a whole bunch have some fun I
1: uh, I don't see. I don't see um, Arvidsson making the team to start the we're going forward on this. Not this year, at least.
0: I want to, but remember, I, I, will, I I'm in, I'm all in for the entertainment factor.
1: Yeah, I, I I do watch Arvidsson. I do like watching Arvidsson play because he shoots the puck like an anime character. Just like he winds up, his hair turns blue. You know, says his catchphrase, and then you
2: and you see the little things go across his eyes. Like, oh, yeah,
1: yeah. Why why don't you want that out there every night playing top six minutes? No, I do because the shot's like 84 miles an hour, and it's you know.
0: Well, <laughs> <laughs> well the, the, it's those slow shots that can they can
1: curve on you. <gasps> Arvidson has deployed changeup. It's not very effective.
0: Arvidsson would be a Pokemon. <laughs>
1: and welcome in to the show that's about to give you probably the most comprehensive discussion about the Nashville Predators just anywhere in town and I can say that cuz I'm actually part of another show. This is the Predcast brought to you by Lions and Internet Marketing Solutions on the com. Chris Link thinks that's hilarious. John's keeping a good face. I'm Dan Bradley. What's up, Chris? <laughs> I think you welcome,
0: broke. Welcome to this really good analysis show. I'm now going to crap on my show. I know you weren't. I know you weren't. But well, it's it's, just funny. it's
1: very it, that's very much more of a pregame show. This is more. It's more of like a current events. Like this is about to happen. Whereas this, we're actually able to sit back and you know have a scotch and and actually talk about it.
0: Oh man, I, we should make that a thing from now on.
1: Ooh, well, we can would. we get some
0: stogies? Can we smoke in your house? No, we cannot smoke in the we house. We Do
1: that as long as John agrees not to scream into the microphone while drinking.
2: Do you have an issue with screaming into microphones? Are you a big karaoke guy? I do karaoke from time to time. I used to sing in a heavy metal band. Oh,
1: I didn't know that. Yeah.
2: When I I was, know was, uh, that. What was th- the name of the band? So it was the worst name in the world. Uh, we were called Cryptic Reality.
0: That's actually not That's terrible not for a metal bad. band. Not too bad. I, I mean, I, it, was, it could be way, way worse.
2: Yeah, we wanted to change it about three years in. I mean, you but, could
0: have been Nuclear Rabbit.
2: Yeah. Could be th- if, Planet. I was going to say Fury of the Esquilax. It's a rabbit with a body of a horse and a I'm head with- of a horse.
1: I'm really disappointed Other way that um, that the Eagles of Death Metal were the band that was involved because I always thought the Eagles of Death Metal was like one of the coolest names I just saw them,
2: ever. actually. They played in Nashville at the uh, Cannery Ballroom in September, I think. They put on a really good show. It took them an hour to get on stage because it was the lead singer's birthday, and he was so drunk that I'm probably certain that he wasn't in, even in the venue at the time that they were supposed to go mm-hmm. on stage. But they put on a hell of a show.
1: That's That's how I want to go out. Yeah. Uh, how was your weekend?
2: It was good. It was a busy weekend. Uh, so I was just all
0: over doing stuff and went to Etch last night. So which was really awesome.
1: Hmm. Oh, I have man. not been to
0: Etch. They have the best, some of the best cauliflower in the entire city. It's fantastic. I, cauliflower.
1: I'm glad. I'm glad someone's cornered the 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 cauliflower market no, here. Because...
0: Okay. I I said this. Um, I said this last this last night as well. You could go through Nashville to restaurants and actually do a cauliflower tour. There are some fantastic cauliflower dishes in the city. Um etch it's it's the etch plate. I mean they just toss the cauliflower in a little bit of trough oil but the sauces they serve with it. Um they have a I think it I can't remember it's it's, a, it's like this uh this cheese type sauce um that's on top of a uh red pepper sauce and that's one and they've got a a green pea I'm probably describing the wrong thing, but this this really good green, like creamy, it's all about the sauces. And then Silo down in Germantown. Silo's really good. They have a fantastic cauliflower dish as well that is just incredible. But would, you, could, you could just go around the city eating really, really good cauliflower for
2: a day. Yeah, I went to Silo for uh, my birthday uh, this oh, past yeah. year and it was really good. It was really good. Yeah, it was completely awesome. Analysis, that's what I got. I got a oh, yeah. uh, 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 Woodford Reserve. is a double-aged oak bourbon yeah and then a glass of wine and then this awesome chicken dish
0: excellent excellent
2: so i'm a, i i like restaurants no, no i like also restaurants I, made it
0: too. To, I finally made it out to high garden mm-hmm. teas and herbs and if you're a tea person you have to go to high garden i, I nerded out with the owner for like a good solid like you're half a tea an guy i'm a big tea, yeah. i'm a big big tea guy but high garden the prices are good the stock is phenomenal
2: did you happen to meet the tyrells over there as well
1: i, I did tyrells 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 I, yeah. I
0: don't i
2: don't think i did yeah. I don't think I did. No. Dan got me. I got gotcha. you. He got me. I don't know what's happening. Some people are listening to this, being like, "Yeah, Game of Thrones," and other people are like, "What the hell are you talking about?" Oh, okay. But I'm just—I just, just
0: had—I had—I ha, had to give a little bit of shout out to High Garden because I've been oh, no, kind you're... of like, "But like, oh, there will I go there? I'll, I'll make it there eventually." I went there. And I was blown away. The quality, the sourcing. If you worry about things like, if, is something ethically sourced? They know all the farmers. They go. They they go to some of the farms and and it's good stock. I used to just think that quality. was just like
1: a novelty thing. Like, Oh, that's cool. That now I'm actually legit caring about it anymore. Yeah. Just,
0: but I, um, I, I, you know, I was a little skeptical. I'm always a little skeptical with tea shops. I'm usually disappointed, but they are legitimate. Um, and, and they do a fantastic job.
1: That's actually the exact opposite of the weekend that I had because I spent the weekend covering the, uh, Tennessee state football finals in beautiful cookville, Tennessee cookville, 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 however you want to pronounce it.
0: I can't even say Louisville. Louisville.
1: Louisville. I
2: can't even do it right.
1: Louisville.
2: It's like L-U-H-V-U-L. Louisville. Cookville. I don't care C- enough.
1: C-U-U-K-V-U-L-L-apostrophe-H. <laughs> Cookville. But, uh, ding. The, <laughs> I'll never get it right. Here is here's a good microcosm of my weekend. It's that I'm trying to pay attention to the Florida-Alabama game, and I'm trying to just do, go out and do some internet so I can look at the site and make sure the game thread's posted just in case you got hit by a bus or something, John. Um, yeah I
2: wouldn't be able to send you a text to,
1: yeah exactly on that. So in order for me to get uh, in order for me to get good Wi-Fi, I had to um, I asked people the gate, like hey, is there a coffee shop that I can walk to because I'm figuring I'm on a college campus full of engineering students. there's got to be like a place I can go grab coffee or something you know that that has Wi-Fi. Well, the Starbucks was closed. so screwed there.
2: They have a Starbucks in Cookville.
1: they have a Starbucks in the on the on the campus I mean, oh, there's, gotcha. a, there's like 10,000 college students there Of course there's a Starbucks, but it just happened to be closed. And there's like literally half a Chick Fil A there, as in a Chick Fil A, but it's only half the menu. So in order for me to get good Wi Fi, I walk across campus to the hospital, and I'm sitting there in the hospital waiting room watching the television and posting stuff on the site because the co- the closest uh, coffee shop I would have had to move my car and pay another ten dollars. I just didn't feel like going to another ATM.
2: I know exactly where that coffee shop is too. It's only like Poets. it was probably only about like half a mile from the campus. Yeah, it was still downtown. It was in the square, I believe. Yeah, yeah that's a place it. called
1: Poets, which. I mean, I would have had to walk there and walk back in time for the for the last game, and I just I'd had enough by that point. Yeah, I understand.
2: I had a decent sandwich there once.
1: <sighs> that, that that that's great.
2: That's all I got. That's that's my Cookville adventure. <laughs> that's, that's all I. I, I had don't a decent
0: sandwich have. on Saturday. Yeah, I had a I decent did. sandwich on Saturday.
1: The, also, Or was that at itch?
0: Uh No, Etch, I had, actually, it was, it was like that was dinner. Yeah. Um, no, I went to went to went to Wild Cow for lunch, which is a oh. vegan place. Right, in East that's Nashville. In East Nashville. Nashville. Yeah. Because
2: uh, that's right across from uh, Rose pepper. It is. And I, have, I haven't been there it's,
0: yet. It's, it's, it's kind of weird because uh, wild cow, delicious, Rose pepper, blandest Mexican food in the entire country. Thank you.
1: The margaritas are good, but yeah, I'm with you on that.
0: I don't know how their salsa is so good and their food is so bland. It doesn't make any sense. I've had people, people have told me, because I've asked, and I've had people tell me, oh, we try to, it's, it's an authentic style. I'm like, authentically don't season things. No, like, there's so, not even
2: salt on this. So I'm a little bit uptight with my mexican food obviously and i had a bite of my roommate's burrito when he ordered from there because we do postmates all the time because we're not too far away from that restaurant and i took a bite like yeah that's that's not bad and i went there and got a burrito myself and was like wow this is the most like mundane thing i've ever had
0: yeah you you get a better burrito from taco bell at least it tastes better i don't know if i'd go that far but at least it tastes like something that's true i mean burrito
1: judge beans I haven't had that. It's a Texas brisket place, but they have an awesome, awesome burrito.
2: Real quick, but as we got into sandwiches, <laughs> East Nashville, I just want to say, went to Tower Deli the other day. Actually, very good. <laughs> you can get a sandwich made to order. They've got like a little grocery, a little tiny grocery store with like local produce and stuff in there. Highly recommend it.
1: You don't feel bad about having this kind of conversation at all because our companion podcast, the uh, the JetSpot, the um, Arctic Ice Hockey Podcast, the St. Louis Game Time Podcast, they spend like five to eight minutes talking about beer. So we're at least giving you stuff that everybody can go enjoy around the greater Nashville metropolitan yeah. statistical area. If
0: I can give you one message is that even if you're not vegan or vegetarian, you can still
1: love the food. It is so fantastic. As long as vegan food's not bland. Now, if you oh, go, like yeah, co- Wild like, Cow is never bland. Good, because like Coco's Italian Market, like some of their I really like their regular stuff, but their vegan stuff is just like, oh my god. Uh, trying to is, kill me. Dan, I'll, I'll tell you. Go to
0: Wild Cow. Um get the uh the sweet potato tacos. Sold um or any of the sandwiches uh and and you'd just be happy um like i, I got the philly which is like it's got like good would uh, you know like i think it was is it, i think it had seitan on it not tofu um and like vegan cheese sauce and onions grilled onions It was, oh so good Very so nice. so
1: good we've put it off long enough well let's start it with we actually there was a good game to start with there was a good game to start with you want to talk about hockey yeah um <laughs> Predators end up winning against the Coyotes, uh, five to two final. They this is a, I literally just copied the paste of the notes from the Rangers game from last week. They outchanced, outshot, and just outplayed the Coyotes, and they ended up still trailing for most of the game. Did they not? They did. Yes, I mean, they did. It's true. <laughs> I, I,
0: I'm with you, John.
1: Yeah, just magic happened in the third period. Top line looked good. Um, something I kept a track on list of this week. Uh, two of the three even strength goals in the game, which they had two power play goals. Two of the of the three even string goals in that game came inside that high danger area. We need to find like a good buzzword for that like magical square that the predators just have trouble getting and staying into, right in front of the goal. I, home
0: plate. Well, I kind of I divide up into two sections. I divide it up into the um. I, you could do it in a couple of different ways, but you have the, the like the low low you have the low slot, mid slot, high slot. So I say the mid and and low slot are the, the
1: high high danger areas. And I have I wrote down the exact same things. Dan Track the exact same thing. This this game felt like the epitome of like a slump buster game, but uh, what are the game takeaways that you guys have?
2: Same thing. I mean, we've talked about it for a couple of weeks. As whereas well they just keep going out there playing their game, eventually the shots that they're making are going to go in. Um, I know that there was a lot of conversation after we recorded the podcast about the predators not going to the net enough, and I think we even mentioned it a little bit last week. We're going to well. mention a lot more this we, week too. We are going to mention it a lot more this week. Oh, um, yeah. And you can, I mean, if you looked at the goals that were scored. All of them, all of them were in those high danger areas. I mean, Callie Yarncroke put a power play goal in because he was parked right in front of the goaltender. Um, Mike Ribeiro scored because he had nowhere else to go and shot it. Um, Philip, Philip Forsberg, did, you know, did a couple of laps around the uh, offensive zone for a little bit, walked right into the high slot, and boom, fired it away. So I think that they did a really good job. Uh, finding those chances and actually converting on them for once, which felt like there was a huge weight off of everyone's shoulders, both the team, the coaches, and the people watching it.
0: Yeah, And, and I mean, who would have thought that taking the puck into really high-danger areas and taking a lot of shots in those high-dangerous areas is a great way to convert shots to goals?
1: Is some of that just Arizona's defense, because the Arizona's defense I mean, they're pretty good at holding onto the puck, but they don't have a whole lot of bulldozers on that team. The guys are just going to sit in front of you and block shots and push you out of the way. No, I think that's a good point, and I think it's interesting
0: as a comparison point as well because the Predators also seem to struggle with that as well. So we 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 got to see an execution what the Predators can do almost against their own defense in a way, and maybe maybe someone noticed that comparison in the Predators coaching staff and can make a correction, maybe adapt
1: for it. We haven't seen it recently, but mm-hmm. maybe maybe they could do it. Because case in point, because I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that because we had a lot to get to on this. Next game against the Panthers. The Panthers do have their share of bulldozers. I mean, you look at their defense; they got a lot of, they got some big uglies out there. Even guys like Gabranson, who's still a really young guy, I've always liked Derek Gabranson. He's a really good player. Uh, got a bit of a mean streak to him. They outchanced Florida, even strength, sixty-three to twenty-four in shots attempt. That's a big number. And only four of Nashville's twenty-eight even strength shots came from inside the high danger area. Of that the really the low what you're talking about, the low yeah. slot right yeah. in front of the crease. Only four of them.
0: So you and looking at the charts for this game, like after watching it, that was a really frustrating game to watch. And then looking at the charts afterwards to try to figure out what was going on, I noticed the same thing with, with, with that really low shot rate. And you know, it's just it seems like they just the predators don't know how to work their way into that zone. I don't, I don't know if it's just because the first inclination is for the defenseman to just start pouring shots in, and at that point, the puck is pinballing in all sorts of directions, and the bounces aren't going in the slot, or more often than not, there's no predators in the slot to actually pick up a rebound. But, it, yeah, I mean, it really demonstrated that while Corsi and chances in shots and things are, are good indicators of who's going to win a game and, and overall quality it still matters where those shots are coming from. And that's really what the Predators demonstrated against the Florida Panthers.
2: Yeah, I agree. I just think if you watch those games, they have a tendency to take the puck from low to high all the time, almost every time that they can do, which is fine because we all know how mobile Nashville's defense is and how talented they are, and they're going to get a lot of goals and a lot of points from those uh, activating defensemen. But over the past couple weeks, it seems like that is the only strategy that they're relying on. Is like, we're going to take the puck into the zone, we're going to get it down low, and then we're going to get it up high so that they can shoot. But the problem with that is if you don't have anyone going into that home plate area, nothing's going to happen. The is going to see the shot 100% of the time, and if there's a rebound and if it does make it through, then mm-hmm. no one's going to put in that rebound.
0: Yeah, and the only guy who's been doing that consistently is Mike Fisher. Because you look at a lot of the guys who are in that top six, and, you know... Uh, Roberto is not going to drive the net. He just wants to dance around the peripheral, periphery as much as possible. Fiddle Forsberg wants to take the puck and carry it in. He doesn't want to be in the slot to receive it. He wants to carry it in and do something. He needs to make a move. Uh, you know, Smith again, he he'll try to charge through, but I think that's discouraged because he tends to turn the puck over. He's not great at keeping the puck, so it's a high. That's a really if he makes it through, he's going to score a goal, but he doesn't make it through very often. Uh, who else? Are, I mean, I'm not going to say anything.
1: Smith will sometimes will will hang out around the, for rebounds, but he's not going to look for
0: deflections though. Yeah. I mean. he's, he's, yeah, he's, I think, he, I don't know why he's there. He's not a great rebound guy. Wilson, um, same. Wilson cannot score goals for any reason. This year. He just, just cannot seem to score goals. I won't say a single untoward or unkind thing about Croak because he's looked so good in, in a, in a more, in an elevated role. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, I mean, so who's who's going to the you have Fisher, but he's banged up now.
1: Of the top six, and there's no one. I mean, the, you're no a, one. I mean, you're starting to see. Uh, I think some of the lines we saw the other night were had. Um, oh, I forgot about James Neal. Know. He's had, just you know shooting puck. Well, that he'll he'll hang around the net for for rebounds, but he's not yeah. going to sit there and look for deflections. That's not right. what he's paid to do. You saw uh, Colton Sissons play more of an offensive role the other night. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a guy that'll do it.
2: Yeah, Watson Watson can do that too, depending on who's on his line.
1: Uh, it's it, we're saying it I'm, i've said it I now for the stand. last uh, two mm. episodes the most inspired and and best hockey i've seen from this team was was from that line against ottawa because especially when they're on the ice with uh, ellis and ekholm just bo- all three with all three forwards just grinding around the net with their sticks on the ice looking for that shot pass coming from uh, ellis and uh since then we haven't seen it since it's it's really frustrating i yeah. wonder
2: what the yeah. uh, what the coincidence with that is some players returning
0: Maybe. Yeah, I, it, it's incredible how contracts that when they were signed were perplexing to us are continuing to harm the team. Uh, and you're in a position where you can't you can't trade them, not tradable. You can't scratch them because they're veterans. Also, the and your roster is, is too is injured packed. as hell right now. Yeah, so you're forced to play guys who aren't as good because they're veterans, and you locked them into stupid contracts. And there's nothing you can do about it.
1: That's the reality. So I was going to start
0: insulting EDM music, but it's not going to get me anywhere.
1: <laughs> uh, finishing it up, they get a point out of the game against the Red Wings. Uh, my headline from this is they essentially fell asleep at the wheel. Uh, they blew two leads in this game. They went up four to two and then decided, you know what, Let's play it safe. You know, two goal lead on the road, that's enough. And they proceeded to get shelled.
2: Yeah, uh, Link and I were talking about this before the uh, before the podcast, but when I was watching it, I thought that the third period, or I'm sorry, the first period, that they did pretty well. Uh, second period, they did okay, so when by the time that they got into the third period, I was thinking to myself, okay, this isn't the greatest game that they've played in recent memory. It's not the worst game that they've played either. It's just kind of one of those meh games that maybe at some point you want to look at a couple things and then just throw out the rest of the tape. That's it. And then that third period started, and they did not do a single thing. They seemed okay with being up 3-1, to one. Um, and then... That that's not a recipe for success. I mean, that's I, I hate to be Captain Obvious over here, but
0: I mean, I, I think it started early in the third period. Looking, you know, having watched the game and and uh, seeing a lot of things work, a lot of things not working, I mean, it was kind of a frustrating game in in a lot of different ways. Uh, but really, about five minutes into the second period, the Predators just stopped generating scoring chances. They were taking shots, but they were crappy shots, and they weren't turning him in converting them into anything interesting and that continued through the rest of the game and it seemed like after the
2: uh fourth detroit power play they scored on i think that was was that the tatar goal Ye, no no the tatar goals uh the third goal of the game uh it was Advocator who scored on the the tying goal okay thank you
0: so after that one it seemed like the Predators. that that's where you get to that dreadful therapy where the predators just seem to not care uh and you know, I I don't know if it's because um, the Predators struggled because of Detroit's
1: structure, which typically uh, does give them trouble.
0: It does, and I, and you know, John and I were talking about how structured defenses and structured offenses on both sides, just structured team systems, give the Predators fits. And Detroit's a great example of structure; they've always had structure, uh, and and I, maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's that's what gives them fits.
2: And Link mentioned it just a couple of minutes ago when he said that the Predators are not. Doing a very good job this season of clearing people outside of uh, of like right in front of the crease in the slot area. I mean, if you look at the replays for every single oh, Detroit goal. That was goal, the Ditargo, uh, yeah, yeah. If you look at that, every single goal, there is at least one person, if not two, parked right in front of Pecorine. Uh, either screening him or getting in his face or looking at a deflection or something. And they did that all game. And Nashville wasn't able to do yeah, that. You, you cannot
0: be outnumbered in the defending the top of the crease if there are two red wings there and one predator that means one guy's gonna be able to do whatever he wants and no one can stop him and that's exactly what happened you had mike green have a a clear shot straight down there's no trap for him Tatar is wide open i mike green has, has fallen from grace far 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 but he can still quarterback a power play
2: it's one of the reasons why they brought him in, like exactly yeah. for that type so, of goal. Yeah, the
0: puck goes in. Tatar
2: has easy,
0: he just has to get the you know puck, just move, trans, you know, change direction a little bit. Nothing the Predators can do about it because they're out of position. And that's been, and i, I just probably, probably to touch on a topic you might already have marked. No, no, you're marked. fine. That's been the story of the Predators' PK
2: for how many weeks now? A couple weeks? Yeah, and, and literally it was the same exact goal for the tying goal as well. Yeah. I mean, same thing. I mean, Pekka was trying to, you know, wait for interference or anything like that, but there's no interference there. It was just a good play by Justin Adelkater to get in front of the net while a shot was going on to obscure his vision and yeah. get that done. And the PK is not doing it. There's no yeah.
0: position. There's no structure. They're not rotating. They're not communicating. It's just a cluster of... It's it's children chasing a soccer ball. <laughs> that's a good way to that's put all, it. That's what it looks
1: like. Yeah. Uh, because circling back here to the PK in a minute, uh, Shea Weber gets a hat trick, even though it's in a losing effort. Um, that's always cool. I mean, we'll we he, don't see a whole lot of hat tricks with this franchise so we can actually remember like several. of them. <laughs> like, yeah.
0: I mean, it, a decade ago, people would be like celebrating in the streets about that, like a defenseman and Shea Weber getting a hat trick. And I don't know. It, it, the thing that I like and dislike about the hat trick is that the second goal was possibly the definitive Shea Weber goal. He hits it so hard, not only does he miss the net, but it has so much velocity and force behind it that it hits the glass, bounces off the glass, bounces off the goaltender into the net. And so that is like that is So Shea Weber. He no aim, super hard, and he still managed to score.
1: I would say no aim on most of his shots. He's actually having a really good season.
0: Yeah, but is that in is is that indicative if you look at the length of his career, he... Tends to he misses a lot. He misses a lot of of shots.
1: He's probably going to retire with more goals than any defenseman in the history of the game, unless Eric Carlson just you know hits a power up and catches him, which could happen. Frankly,
2: also depends on how long Car- Carlson plays after him.
1: Yeah, this is true. I'm going to talk about when the point that Weber retires, though he'll probably have more until Carlson passes him. Mm. Yeah. So I mean, you're right. I mean, but you still look at Al McInnes, and he's the same way. Al McInnes was like Weber, except like less aim yeah but could could alman defend Al think could defend
0: pretty well well there you go he's got one up
1: on shea weber Ooh. okay circling <laughs> to the pk here that we just talked about do you know what um what defenseman has allowing the least amount of goals per 60 minutes on the pk oh, i
0: bet it's shea weber because i just said it mean yeah
1: thing. it's shea weber so uh, so um you know that's cool <laughs> <laughs> Uh, actually, no. It's actually Ryan Ellis. Uh, Ryan Ellis is actually allowing less, but he's played far well, yeah, less. Yeah, he's played time. far less. PK time. Uh, Shea Weber for all the time he's played. Just giving a comparison here is at six point six one goals allowed per sixty on the PK. Why it's sixty minutes on the PK? It's it's kind of a wonky metric, but we're gonna. Yeah, run it with feels it. wonky to me. Jackman by comparison is the worst, and that's kind of surprising because Jackman's been great everywhere else. He's allowing thirteen point three eight goals per sixty on the PK. You want to know who, as far as, like, shots go? Um, worst, Yossi has been the worst at limiting sh- shot attempts uh, for defensemen. He's essentially the he's allowing more shots on the PK. That, some of that may be the assignment that he's playing.
2: He also blocks a lot of shots, too.
1: True. He'll give up a shot in order to be able to block it, I, I guess. Wait, well, does
2: works. that count? Is that counting just shots on That's goal? Shots is that attempted. Just, okay, shots attempted, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Now, the best at this is Matthias Echolm. Matias Eckholm has been great on the penalty kill.
0: And is this um, is this just over the course
1: of this is the course of the entire year? You, this, this, is this is including okay. when the power play when the penalty kill was actually pretty good. Because I don't think it's fair for us to look at very small sample size. Maybe it's Rene being tired. Maybe it's a few different things. So I, I took all that into consideration. Um, among forwards, the best at limiting shots. And you want to take a guess who it is?
2: Kyle Yarnkro. No. Philip Forsberg. No.
1: Close, but no. It's not like Paul Gostev. Paul Gostev is the second best at shot attempts. Yeah.
0: That see see so the way this thing all breaks out makes me very skeptical of this as a as a as a valid stat. You can list it, but I'm I'm a little skeptical about this. Colton
1: Sissons. Colton Sissons has been the best at limiting shot attempts on the power play.
2: In limited minutes, though, right? How many minutes has he yeah, play on the played PK? Yeah, he's only played ten right
1: games. Well, I mean, he's only played ten games. How but,
0: many minutes this season have the Predators been on the PK?
1: Total? I don't have that right in front of me. You got a computer, right? Yeah, I'm going to look it up. Cool. Let's look that up. Because, I mean, I, I,
0: like I said, it, with, with the way this thing shakes out, I'm a little worried about you a, these I'm numbers. I'm just giving you the
1: numbers on this. Like uh, You can take out of them, what, I mean, this doesn't go into what quality attempts they're giving up and, and what's all going on with the rest of the ice. This is yeah, just the raw cause numbers. Because special teams, it's kind of awkward to look at just numbers. I get that. I mean, it is kind of yeah, awkward. Yeah, I mean, because you go from Gostad, who's in
0: Nice in Room, who are the absolute, some of the weakest in terms of preventing anything at five on five. And then somehow on the PK, they become masters of the universe. I just, I, I just, my, my thing that I wonder is that because you have a lot fewer minutes on a penalty kill relative to, to game time, if you're using a per 60 measure, you're just applying a methodology from another stat to something to try to, to, to you know, to report on, try to find something there. I don't, I don't necessarily know if that's a valid or reliable measure necessarily.
2: What, I guess what you could do is take a season average of how long a uh, team is on the penalty kill for a, for a game. And do it that way because, you know, per 60 minutes yeah. of five versus five makes a little bit more sense because you're much closer to playing 60 minutes of five on five than you are playing 60 minutes of power player yeah. shorthanded time. So I guess that could work. Um answer your question, though, uh, the Predators have been shorthanded for 139 minutes and 29 seconds. So if it's year. a per 60 and you've only been on for a little over two hours... And
0: then you had to break that down. That's not... I mean, if we're talking about small sample sizes, you need a lot more data, maybe across yeah. the season, to draw. This and, is all understood. Yeah, I just... I'm... Like, it, the but way it what shakes other, out...
1: What other metric do we have to gauge these guys by?
0: The number of goals given up on the penalty kill.
1: Oh, so it's just goals? Oh. That's I,
0: I don't mean. know. I'm, I'm, I'm throwing something out there.
1: Uh, I'm, I'm looking... I'm asking you for suggestions.
0: That's why I said. I'm just throwing it out there. Okay. Like, that's maybe, maybe, that, maybe that's one thing. Um... Don't take penalties. Maybe that's the other thing.
2: I don't. Uh, the way the Predators are going right now, they shouldn't be taking penalties. I was actually looking at this before, uh, like earlier today, and the Predators are actually one of the least penalized teams in the entire National Hockey League. Um, I've actually got it put up here. They have been shorthanded a total of eighty times, which is twenty fourth in the league. Yet they have the twenty ninth rated penalty kill right now. That's not good.
1: No. And that's after they started the year pretty well on the penalty kill. Am, mm-hmm. I, am I correct? Yeah, they did. They were, they were both both
2: their special teams were good to start the year.
1: And then now they're kind of, they slip back into that, you know, we're just going to shell the hell out of you on five on five and then just hope it doesn't turn into a special teams battle.
2: Well, their power play is doing well right now. I think they're now eighth or ninth in the league in power play efficiency, but their PK has slipped dramatically. Uh, they've allowed what a power, uh, a
1: one power play goal the last couple of games. Ten games. What, I, yeah. think. I heard they were something games. like fifty-seven
0: percent or something ridiculous like that or on was the it, PK. It's been
2: bad. no, it's 75%. seventy-five, seventy-five. Uh, oh. I'm, I'm sorry, seventy-three percent. Okay, I had a little bit of dyslexia there. Yeah, but it's it's Swapped not. The, yeah, the, yeah, it's I mean, it's not good. No, it's not good.
1: So who who are who are you pinning this on? I mean, how much of this is on Rene? Is it on a particular player? On a particular strategy? Who am I pinning this on?
2: I I think it's
0: there's a definite lack of structure in the penalty kill.
2: Yeah, we watched a goal from the Panthers game uh, earlier, this, uh, earlier this week where there were three penalty killers literally standing on top of the slot in front of Rene when a goal was scored. How how is that even possible because they all converge into one area and they're standing on top of each other one of the other penalty killers I can't tell who it is is standing uh, about probably the tops of the circles and then there are five Panthers all over the ice with two of them right there and no one gets in
0: no one was no one was covering any of the Panthers So, so that's
1: a team that has some that has some muscle. I mean the Panthers. I mean we think they're a bunch of young kids, It'll be Bukes but, pads, but
2: well. They're also it's, one it's, of the better power play teams in the league it, right it's now. It's not
0: about. Yager. It's not even about muscle. I mean, if you should at least have, be in in a position, you shouldn't be collapsed in a ball in front of your goaltender. Mm-mm. That's no. what the they, the Predators were collapsed in a ball in front of their goaltender, and that's something they've been doing. They they leave. Okay, yeah, it's the, there are the other teams on a power play. You're you're down a man. You're going to have a guy who's not fully covered, but. You still have to be aware of them. And the Predators seem to lack that awareness.
2: Yeah, and I mean, obviously, even though you're a man down, there are still ways to uh, successfully depend, depend against that. Um, but to kind of go back to your question on who's to blame, I think that there's blame all around. But I mean, Kevin McCarthy is the one that's orchestrating the uh, design of the penalty kill and it has gotten worse and worse and worse and worse.
1: And that's the guy that's not going anywhere because he's Lavi's guy.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's so
2: the so, yeah, so kind of thing that...
0: So, so just just to round out the thing, because I can't just, you know, let Dan feel like he owned me on the Shea Weber thing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I pulled up. I wanted to pull up, because uh, this is something I like to look at, Weber's uh, hero chart, three years running.
1: Are you, are you talking about the power on the penalty kill? No, just... That's just, what we're looking at. Just... Right? Just... just Okay. Well, I'll just okay. okay. Right
0: Grant. Okay. So so let's give up. The, I'll give you this point regardless. Weber is a PK specialist and not a great defenseman. There. Do you want? The, I'll give you that. I'm sure everyone
1: around the NHL is going to agree with that. <laughs> uh, but you look at it, he
0: is his his um course against relative time on ice is equivalent to a bottom pairing defenseman. Uh. And his Corsi percentage, uh, his his for and, and against relative to time on ice, is equivalent to a bottom pair. So, right. of he against he's, the most, he's Victor Bartley.
1: He just happens to take the most defensive zone defensive zone draws in the entire NHL against probably some of the toughest competition in the entire NHL.
0: And he gets creamed in terms of giving up Corsi. Not I mean goals, whatever. But I
1: thought it was about goals. No, I'm just kidding. That was a different <laughs> conversation, Dan. Keep up. We've moved
0: on. we we're on, we're at where it's the stuff that matters, which is which is even a strength ultimately. Um, the predictive stuff because, you know, when they want to predict things, they pull out all the specialty teams.
1: Okay, That's we-
0: typically what they do. But, uh, I, you know, it, it's things like that that worry me. So if he's great in the PK where everyone just has to defend, do nothing but defend, and then chuck the puck out without having to move it up the ice, great. So he's really good at, at what I've said before. He, Weber is a fantastic defenseman for the NHL that was. The NHL that's currently fading right now. For the modern NHL, I think he's far less effective than a guy like the, I think the other compared, the Eric Carlson's, the the guys who, the Yossi the is those kind of guys, the Ekman Larson's.
1: All right. As far as allowing goals on the power play, just to kind of book in that, uh, here's, I mean, we have to go by 60 minutes played or the average of 60 minutes played because Shea Weber's going to play more time on the penalty or more time on the PK than, let's say, Seth Jones or uh, Roman, or actually Roman Yossi be about the same. Uh, Ryan Ellis is somehow in the leader in the clubhouse with 3.22 goals allowed which he doesn't play a whole lot on the penalty kill for some reason probably because he's small and delicate uh, he's small and delicate mm. Shea Weber 6.61 over the span of 60 minutes Matthias Eckholm 11.30 uh, Seth Jones 10.75 Roman Yossi 6.97 Bear Jackman 11 or pardon Bear Jackman yeah. 13.38 now let's see if I swap this to even strength who do you, what defenseman do you what defenseman do you believe is going to be them have the most goals allowed? Shea Weber per sixty minutes. Well, help touch screens, man.
2: Leaving everyone in
0: suspense. I know Ooh. this is touch very screen, exciting. Touch
1: screens suck, man. Just for this right here.
0: Yeah, I mean this is, this is going to get into a discussion of um, I mean, Shea Weber I'm- doesn't suck, but he is not the raise your hands and and get an amen no elite.
1: No, he's he's not that guy. I mean, he, I'm I'll I'll admit that. That's fine. But to your point, you're right about the goals allowed. Shea Weber is is actually the most likely to be allowing a goal of all the Predators defensemen. Least likely, Barrett Jackman at one point one two per sixty. Yeah, Shea Weber two point two three. Roman Yossi two point oh five. My problem I have is that for for fancy stats folks like myself, like you, like everybody else. We can't sit here and say that Shea Weber is this is you know he's you know far he's not the greatest guy in the world you know he's he's bad at all this other stuff, and then Roman Yossi plays the exact same minutes whose num- whose possession metrics are a little bit better and he's just fine and dandy because they're a pairing. Very they are
0: good. pairing, and I, I think uh, I think I do think Yossi's numbers are suppressed by Weber. So that Cause, whole because so Yossi's numbers tend to be. It, 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 when you try to, when you peel him away
1: from Weber, Yossi's numbers are very strong. The same, all right, let's, I let mean, know the playoff series is kind of a microcosm, but Roman Yossi did not look well next to anyone other than Shea Weber.
2: W- wasn't he paired with Cody Franson? He
1: paired with Seth Jones. That's right. Of it. And that was, I mean, the game, uh, which game was, I think it was game three. They lost because the Seth Jones and Roman Yossi pair was just not functioning. Now it took uh, them a couple of games to get them up to speed, and that's just one yeah, game. I, I get that. I do think there's a lot to be said for chem- for for being used to knowing positioning and, and chemistry for mm-hmm.
0: players. I mean, especially Espe- defense. Players. Yeah, especially
2: because I think if you ask uh, anyone, mainstream media, anyone who's watching that, they they would tell you, and I, I agree with this, that Seth Jones got better as the playoff series went on.
1: The problem is is that you can't, and it's almost like. Um, not quite Harry Potter and Voldemort, but you have to have like some kind of balance between the two of them. Like you both, you can't have Seth Jones be the Seth Jones that we know he is on the same pairing with Roman Yossi when Roman Yossi trying to be the same thing that we know him him as what he is. So that you need someone, you need someone to to kind of watch the other guy's back. That's the reason why Seth Jones is playing very effectively next to Barrett Jackman because Barrett Jackman's allowing Seth Jones to be Seth Jones. Mm-hmm. I worry that if you take Roman Yossi away from Shea Weber and vice versa, you're going to get a Roman Yossi that's. A little bit soft that you know doesn't that Shea Weber does make him better in certain areas. As far as his metrics go, maybe Weber drags him down a little bit there, but I don't think you get the production from Roman Yossi that you're getting now without Shea Weber being on the ice.
0: I think that I think that's a, a real possibility, and and I think um the issue that you run into there, and and uh, this is not going to be something disagreeing with you. I think the way that Weber plays when he's in the offensive zone. Negates some of that benefit because Weber's still he wants to be very active. He wants to he you know if you give him the puck he's just going to take shots and shots and shots. Whereas Jackman, you give him the puck he's going to be dishing it to somebody to let them take the shot. And so that means he's already thinking about covering the back and getting getting back. Weber is not really thinking about that. It's in his mind. He's a defenseman. It's you know second nature. But he's still looking for shots. He's looking for the you know the really tight scoring passes things like that. Uh, So he's kind of he's walking the line between the Yossi role and the Jackman role. If you want to make it very, very stark like that. And I, and, and that, that, that kind of decreases, I think some of the benefit that you get from having that stay at home, stay back type defenseman. Uh, and again, not to say that I, I think that's, I think it's a good point, um, that you have there, but I think, so I think the issue is he's trying to, to do everything. And in that way, it, is a little bit limiting.
1: I think it's going to get better as time goes on too because as he <laughs> as he kind of transitioned, well, I don't think that he's going he's not going to be as physically able to, but as far as like he realizes in his mind that he doesn't need to be that guy. Mm-hmm. that he can defer to Yossi, which I know he you, we've already talked about this before in previous shows that he does defer to Yossi as far as exiting the zone and a lot of that and a lot of that stuff. I think that once he realizes that he doesn't have to do everything, he's going to be a better player. I I think he's going. He's going to be a different player. Well, he can do everything Barrett Jackman can do. Can he not? Is there anyone doubting that Shea Weber can be Barrett Jackman except with that shot? I th- I
0: think um, Weber, you know, and this may come from as his body slows down a little bit. he not isn't skating as much. Uh, he may ha- he may adjust and and do the and get better positioning because I think Jackman's a little bit better defensive zone positioning than Weber is. Uh, you know, he, I think the best example of of an elite defenseman. Um, who's somewhat equivalent to Shea Webb in terms of play style, size, is like a Chris Pronger type. And the, what made Pronger so effective was he was a master of not skating.
1: That's, he that's was very as
0: far of, like
2: being in the right place, at the right Prong- time. Yeah,
0: people ask like, how was Pronger? So, you know, he was always in the right spot. And, and I- that's that's the difference. I think Jackman has a Jackman doesn't have that Pronger level positioning, but I think his defense positioning is maybe better than Weber's only because he's not skating as much. Not because he's like a smarter hockey player. He knows his job better, but he's not, have, he's not, sk- he's just, he gets to where he's supposed to be. And he just sort of stays there. Whereas Weber is more active.
2: And Shea Weber for years and years and years has been like the guy to do everything for the team as Scroll far as the defense. goals. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I mean, to your point, I, I would agree with you. Whereas as soon as he realizes that he doesn't have to be that guy anymore, and I think we're already seeing that now, um, then, Maybe he won't take as many chances or go for those big hits or do those type of things that put him out of position and lead to um, odd man rushes because, good God, there were so many odd man rushes in the Detroit game.
1: Yeah, and that's a team that's going to play for it too. So before we go to the break, I'm um, actually, I don't want to have a lot of time to get to this still. We're going to spend a little extra time with it. We'll just kick that back a little bit. We're our own bosses here, anyways. Um, got a lot of questions. We put it out today twice and. Uh, We'll, we'll give you a great afterwards. So put down on Twitter. i uh, looking for your questions for this episode. Let's see here. Yeah. The Titans won at home. Yeah. Great. All right. Frank Marco writes in this latest bad stretch is based on 50% bad luck and 50% poor play. Agree or disagree? I think I'd agree with that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that's as as far as just kind of a, a, a throwaway thing to, to describe it. I think that works really well. Uh, not to not to insult his phrasing, uh, but I think that works though.
2: Yeah, and because I'm still of the mind that the Predators are much better than they are leading on to be. Um, I uh, I don't think that they're gonna win the Central Division, but I mean they're firmly in a wild card spot right now. I mean I think that, you know I think that they could get one of the division spots. I think that they could absolutely be a wild card team. Um, and maybe we can get into this a little bit later. But still, looking at their underlying metrics, they're still. Killing it as far as what a good Team should do but we See on the ice that there is definitely Something lacking and and where
0: they're hitting Right now uh, I'm still poking around With the expected goals stat trying to Understand a little bit better and 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 where They are is is they're not scoring as many Goals as you would expect based on their offensive Performance and they're giving up more goals than you would expect Based on the defensive performance So that's You want to say that that's Going to, to normalize and if it does, the Predators are going to be one of the most high, the highest scoring teams in the league, at least as far as consistency. Uh, so I, that's that fifty percent bad luck, the fifty percent bad play. I I think really comes down to how unstructured that PK has been, and we've covered that I think it's nauseum at this point.
1: Yeah, I think that this feels kind of like a to Frank's point. This feels like a L.A. Kings season so far, where it's just like there's a lot. They're they're controlling the puck. They're shooting it very well. They're having some weird stuff going against them and knowing that it'll probably... As long as they stay the course The stuff will normalize when it gets closer to the year, but they know that they're a flawed team right now.
2: Yeah, and it could be a lot worse considering the division that they're in. It could be yeah. a lot worse.
0: Yeah. I just I just hope that uh, the Predators don't go out and, and have like a panic trade or something near the deadline.
1: We're going to cover that later. Of course we are. <laughs> oh, yeah. Fun with index cards. James Nickerson writes in... Here's one. What value does Seth Jones provide this team right now? I think he means this in kind of a derogatory way, and I pardon if he doesn't, but Seth Jones and Barrett Jackman is not the reason why this team has been in a No, they're a fantastic third pairing. No, as far as like what what trade value he may offer, we're going to cover that a little bit later on. Um, but having said that, there's a lot to like about what Seth Jones is doing this year. Even though he's not going not be having the, quote, Victor Hedman breakout year, um, Jones is being asked to be essentially... As good as the ellison and pairing has been, it's the Jones and Jackman pairing that's officially now the second pairing on the team. And as far as the minutes they're playing, who they're playing against, and that's a credit to Seth Jones and his maturity and his development. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, over the course of the past... He's developed a lot over the last couple years. Uh, he really worked his way up. And his numbers have stayed I and mean, improved as far as preventing... You know, being a defenseman, preventing those shots. And as far as driving that play, he's doing a lot of things right and... You know, people don't talk enough about how quickly he stepped in the NHL.
2: Yeah, and that, uh, yeah, I, I'm yeah. sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, but that was one of the biggest things too when people were saying uh, last year and the year before that, like, oh, Seth Jones sucks, so he's not a great defenseman. He was 19 years old when he started yeah. in the NHL. No one... Well, usually does well, that. He didn't play in Milwaukee, right? He didn't
0: play in Milwaukee. No, no he I went, he went straight from... from I
2: mean, Shea Weber played
0: in Milwaukee?
2: Yeah. Uh, well, Milwaukee? S- who played in Milwaukee. And U. also, U. S- Milwaukee? the way that the juniors went out, he would have had to go back to juniors and Bernie, you're there, or else step into the league. And they wanted to step him into the league now. And he did and good. He, exactly. And he's going to have those moments where he turns the puck over. He's not in good positioning or does something, you know, boneheaded. But I think we're seeing that those are fewer and further between nowadays, where yeah. he's being a very solid defenseman for what he's being asked to do, and at only 21 years old. Yeah,
0: when he's when he's 23, 24, we'll talk about what you know. We can maybe be derogatory about his value if he's not playing well. But at the rate he's developing, he'll be he'll it won't be a conversation.
1: Rewind this a little bit with Aaron Ekblad because Aaron Ekblad was still able to step right in and he was fine. Inhuman. Yeah. It is it some of that? Is just Aaron Ekblad isn't asked to do as much as Seth Jones because if we look at how Eric, who Ekblad plays with and he's playing a lot. Of, he does play quote protected minutes, but he's not completely sheltered. Ekblad plays primarily, I believe, with Willie Mitchell and Willie Mitchell. He was
2: a, playing with uh, Brian Campbell last year. Brian
1: Campbell last year. Now he's with Mitchell, I believe. Anyway, but Florida's done a really good job of getting like kind of your gritty older stay-at-home defenseman who's as we talked about earlier, good with positioning. Guys like Mitchell Campbell, Campbell somehow paid just as much as Shea Weber. Is that's a whole other matter as far as cap hit goes. (laughs) Um, Gotta love those Stan Bowman contracts. Um, So is the comparison between Jones and Ekblad is that fair or is that unfair?
2: I don't necessarily. I mean, I didn't watch enough Florida Panthers last season like consistently to to really you know look at as much as I watched the Predators. Um, But every time that I saw. Ekblad play he just looked like a first overall draft pick I mean there was just something about that kid that's like wow he is insanely good and I know Jones was supposed to go first overall until he fell down to fourth and everything like that but you know the talent in drafts ebbs and flows all the time and I think that Ekblad is just one of those special cases where between the situation that he was in and the talent that he has it just you know it bloomed perfectly
0: yeah, I mean, Eckelad's season last year was fairly unprecedented for young, know, for a draft. You know, that year drafted defenseman. Uh, does he, he keep it up this year? I don't know. I mean, it's it's the Florida Panthers. They're kind of.
1: I love the Panthers.
0: I want to love them too, but I want they to love them so bad. They just they're just sort of there, and they're like you feel like they should be better than they are. At the same time, that you feel like they're as bad as they are, and it's this weird contradiction that seems to be. The way South Florida is going to play hockey.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're, they're just going to do it with a bunch of draft picks and some really cool old veterans that they signed, like Yager. Man, I love I love Yager. Yager, that Yager is team. yeah, yeah. I love the Yager ultimate that cool so veteran. Much.
2: He is an international treasure.
1: Him like he had a good quote about three on three uh, saying, that, "Oh, I'm too old. Don't 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 let me do that." Speaking of three on three, Virgil Trucks writes in: Why are the Preds a bad three on three team? Uh, seven overtime games, zero goals, four losses. Do they even practice three on three? They look completely disorganized.
0: Well, they certainly don't seem to practice their three on three line changes. No, nope,
1: they don't. Nope. They, I think. I mean, whenever we see them on three on three, they'll just roll the same three guys out there to start and hope it ends quickly. And then after that, I don't know.
2: It never does, though. And if it's nope. ending quickly, it's going to be in the back of their own net. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know because like I've heard so many people say, "Man, yeah, you know, three on three sucks. It's so boring. Whatever." And it's like yeah, just because you're watching the predators play, there's something about what they do is they they don't generate chances and they're very slow on three on three too. Where you watch um, the the three on three game with. Uh, um, Chicago and L.A. uh, just a couple of weeks ago, like, oh, my God, that was one of the most entertaining things that I saw. I watched before the uh, Preds game uh, yesterday, uh, Winnipeg and Washington went to three on three. And Evgeny Kuznetsov there is seriously just like doing laps around the ozone and like making things happen. And they're having chance after chance after chance. The Predators don't do that, and I don't know if it's because they're just too stagnant and they're waiting for that perfect opportunity to go before they, um, before they shoot. Which makes sense because if you miss the net, then it's you're a starting a breakout for the other team. and It's going to end badly. But they just seem very hesitant to get anything going at all.
1: Yeah, I think when you look at who's how Predators how the Predators have been scoring, it's been shots away from quote the high danger area, which do ki- which do kick out those rebounds. So I think they're being a little bit cautious, but also. When you have Ribeiro out there, and Mike is good at a lot of parts of hockey as far as involving offense, but three-on-three three is not a good fit for him because how slow he plays and just kind of head up looking around for a pass slows the tempo down, and uh, I don't know if that's a great fit.
0: Oh, no, it's a terrible fit. I don't know why he would ever be out there for so that.
1: Chris Bush writes in, If asked, uh, would you play a part of Reporter in the next Barb Murphy Presser commercial? And what would you ask uh, Barb Murphy? No. You would not do it? Okay.
2: No. 100% not. One of the great things about watching the games through GCL is that I do not get commercials. So I've not seen a single Barb Murphy commercial. Ah, that's not true. I've seen one or two of them. But uh, most of the time, I do not get to see a single Barb Murphy commercial.
1: What's the, uh, let's I'll rephrase it then. Out of all the Game Center ads that you see, because you do see some, you know, you do see ads on Game Center, right?
2: Uh, they replay the same four or five ads every oh. time, and then it goes to uh, waiting back and like we, the game will be come back after a commercial break. But recently, it's been uh, the uh, it's been like Volkswagen commercials and uh, like Target commercials and something else. But you watch games back. from out of market though, right? Yeah, but I don't get to see most of their commercials though. So. Oh. Okay. So not, not anymore. So we were the, the, the best one of the St. Louis ones. I was about
1: to say that. Like, can you give me a, a a good ad? That's not a St. Louis ad. Cause we make fun of the St. Louis ads all the time.
2: No, I can't. Sometimes like the, I don't know, the The Canadian tire commercials sometimes are pretty funny. There are a lot of good Tim Hortons commercials, but nowadays I can only think of the chicken ad. From St. Yeah. Louis, like the St. Louis feed for watching the, <laughs> for watching their commercials for it's just we're Cardi-less selling you ships. beer, lots we're, of cars, yeah, ships. we're just selling you cars, beer, and lottery tickets. Hi. Hopefully, not necessarily. John no
1: here for John Landoff Chevrolet. Like it's it's every, if you watch the St. Louis feed, it makes sense why everyone's so miserable. Honestly, this
0: we've covered this. I, I figured it was just the St. Louis style pizza.
1: Well, St. Louis style pizza is a Lundell perfect product of a uh, of a disgruntled car salesman that forgot he had the kids that night. Hey, kids, you, you like pizza?
2: See, what I, We don't have cheese. We've got prevel, so we're going to put that on there.
0: I
1: want to mix these two different types of cheese whiz together. You're going to love it. <laughs>
0: I, I have saltines and Elmer's glue. You guys hungry?
1: <laughs> Just throwing lunch meat on top of it. Uh, let's see here. We already answered that one. Uh, Chris did follow up with a real question. <gasps> I know, right? i Sorry, that was more of a cast than I was going for. Uh, let's see. Well, he's asking the same old question: uh, Is the one is a number one center enough to give the Preds over the hump, or is there additional forward needed as well for the Preds to go on a put the Preds to go on a playoff run?
0: I think they have the wing. I think they have all the wingers they need. Yeah, mm-hmm. I really think they have all the wingers they need. And I'm, I mean, I I really don't believe the Predators can get a number one center by the trade deadline.
1: Andrew, a friend of mine, writes in uh, Andrew Stone out of Georgia, really good guy, Steve Moses. What gives? And Link, you have the floor. Turning it over to you. I I don't know if
0: uh, thinking back to when this when this was first announced and all the talk and all the excitement, and I said, why is anyone remotely excited about this? This is a guy who underperformed throughout his entire North American hockey career, goes over to Europe, does fine, earns his keep, does a good job, contributes, has one incredible season in the KHL. This is this is the year that uh Jokerit leaves the uh the sm liga if i even said that really correctly i'd be so proud of myself and joins the khl he has an unprecedented season gets signed to a contract in the nhl comes here doesn't make the team gets sent to, to the hl doesn't do much i don't know if any of you guys there's a profile that a, a player wrote who had gone overseas to, to to kind of pursue his career after a while it's
2: andrew gordon right was it was it andrew
0: gordon it was, yeah yeah this is when we talked so, about, like carrying cash around the bribe cops well, no no the this no. is recently. This, this is, is a uh, very recent article. It's, it's, so he talked about how I, I apologize, to, John. That's okay. Uh, the gist of it was that you, like, he had to know there was a time to go overseas, and, and going overseas meant he could have a career, like he could really have a, a proper career, make good money. Uh, he talked about how you know the money he makes isn't taxed. If if he signed, if they're gonna say we're gonna pay you seventy thousand dollars, you get paid seventy thousand dollars. You're given a phone, you're given a, a, a apartment to stay in. You just have to play hockey. And, you know, that's what uh, Steve Moses did originally. He went over there because he did not have any prospects in North America. He went over there, started a career, had a good career, had three, two solid seasons, and then a ridiculous, unprecedented season. People who look at event stats seem to have just been like, I don't care about things that make sense anymore because he scored all these goals and set records and it didn't matter. And he came to North America. His game, which didn't work when he played in all sorts of junior and college and all these things where he never really clicked in, in North America. He did, he did well enough. And once again, surprise, surprise, it didn't click for North America. He's smaller size, smaller ice, things that benefit the European game are all of his assets and they just don't work. They didn't really work in North America. He doesn't have that high, high skill skill ceiling that some of the smaller players who have been successful in the NHL have. So the best thing for him to do, and the second he was sent down to the AHL, I I thought it was going to happen. And when they announced that his rights had been traded to the KHL, everyone's like, or to, to SKA, everyone's like, oh, that doesn't mean anything. I'm like, yeah, it means something. It means he's negotiated a contract with SKA to go back over to K, the KHL. And then they announced he's going to go back to the KHL. No surprise. He's going to go back there. He's going to have a career. He's going to get paid good money because at least SKA play, pays their players, unlike half of the KHL. Uh, and he'll probably be a lot happier. And he'll get to play at a higher level of hockey than, than in the AHL in an environment that's going to suit him.
1: And he's going to be playing next to Ilya Kovalchuk.
0: Yeah. Which is gonna Just maybe further that. inflate his numbers, uh, <laughs> but no, it, it sort of what happened is really what I expected to happen. And if he, he was even on pace to fall below, I think the ceiling that I had set for him, which was like thirty points,
1: when when, you, when Cody Bass gets called up ahead of you. that's bad. That's bad. Yeah,
0: I mean it was well. Also, I think Cody Bass was called up after the uh, SKA transfer news came out, so I think one, you know, they definitely weren't going to call because he was working on a contract. Yeah. Or at least his agent was working on a contract.
2: Well, you could also say that they needed someone to fill fourth-line minutes, and Steve Moses is definitely not going to fill fourth-line minutes. Nope. Um, nope. Side note, though, if anyone's interested, the um, article that Link was speaking of was on Russian Machine, uh, neverbreaks.com. It was written by Andrew Gordon, who is a career minor leaguer who had a couple of cups of coffee with the Caps, and I think uh, maybe the Flyers or the Canucks was, or something yeah, like that. Well, he never. I
0: don't even think he... Got called up and played for the Flyers. He yeah. got
2: called, but he never actually put the uniform on. Right, but he played several, like seven or eight seasons in the AHL before he decided that he wanted to go over to to play in uh, uh, Sweden. He's having a great time over there. Yeah. You should check that article out; it's very good. It was, it was
1: a really great read. Mm-hmm. Rachel Freeman, loyal Predcast listener, writes in: When Fisher comes back, do you think he's going to be the third line center?
2: No, I think they'll probably shoehorn him back up into the one C. Should he
1: be the third line center?
0: Uh,
2: <laughs> should he? Yes. Probably. Yeah, I think think that what Ribeiro and Yarncroak are doing right now is fine enough. I mean, Yarncroak is great. Ribeiro is eh. Um, I don't see Fisher replacing either of them with what they do. He should be, but is he going to? No, probably not.
0: Yeah. Better, you know, less wear and tear, fewer minutes. Keep him healthy longer. If you hit the playoffs... Uh, and you need a more grindy guy and you need someone to grinding the top line you've preserved Fisher's body for the playoffs and that's that's the game. I mean you, you look at the teams who who tend to do really well in the playoffs and they don't win the division uh, sometimes. you know division they don't necessarily win the they' still gonna win the presidents Trophy because they're exhausted at that point uh, or they're just bad and really lucky.
1: at least don't worry about the predators peaking too early this year.
0: So hopefully, hopefully. Don't, Chris, that's dangerous words. Christian
1: Kitchell writes in, "What's wrong with Rene? He hasn't looked right recently. He's letting Golden as usually stops. I think he's just fatigued. Like you know, it's the same stuff we see every year. Like he goes through a spell where he's like, oh, am I going to have to play all these games this year again?' Oh, Gatter, yeah. why you would not stop puck?
2: I mean, if you <laughs> look, you sorry, I'm just having trouble like processing this. So last year, if you looked at his numbers towards the end of the slump, they were not good." Um, he was consistently getting, uh, games in like the 900 save percentage, 88, uh, save percentages. It wasn't great. And that looked like that may have been spelled early on this season, but now he's getting back into that spot where he's not making saves in, uh, even medium danger, low dangerous areas now. I mean, I was looking at it earlier. If you take a look at his adjusted save percentage from the entire league, um, for goaltenders that have played at least 500 minutes right now, he's not even in the top 20.
3: Oof.
0: You know, and in, in, you know, back a few weeks ago when I looked at Rini's career numbers on a month-to-month basis over his entire over his entire uh, career, he fades. He has he tends to dip in December and dip in March, and it's, so it's not unprecedented for him to, him to be dipping right now. Uh, I also think, uh, and this relates back to our earlier conversation about defense, I really believe that the defense in front of him is not doing a great job of clearing the crease, both of pucks and of bodies. Across the board, I think they're doing a poor job. Uh, And and that's where, you know, Jackman and Weber need to shine. They are the big, strong, North American-trained defensemen. They they need to clear the net. Big strong Swedish defensemen aren't going to clear the net because they're not trained to do that. That's not the game they play.
2: You know what's crazy too is that uh, I was just kind of gets back to what I said earlier um, in the show uh, about looking at the numbers that the Predators as a team are doing very well. They are the best shot per se- uh, shot suppressing team uh, at five on five per sixty minutes. I think it's like they only allow. 22 23 24 shots per five on five 60 minutes um but yet then you have renee who's not making those saves anymore and so you look at his save percentage on that i mean yes the predators are not doing so great at uh you know making those chances um, and like not clearing the crease and anything like that but still you look at some of the goals that have been let in and there are goals that usually you'd expect renee to save so I'm not saying that it's all on his fault or like, you know, he's past his prime or anything yeah. like that. But I mean, I think that the conversation should open up as far as like maybe Rene is also having a bit of a problem. And it's not just the fact that the team isn't doing so well.
1: Yeah, I, I,
0: there's there's a lot of factors going into this. I think he continues to be overworked. Uh, That's what happens when you don't have a competent backup. Uh,
1: or and, at least a backup where your coach believes in. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: I mean, he's, he's definitely being overworked.
1: He, he
0: what? How many games has Carter Hunt even played this in the first, in this part of the season? Like, what, three, three or four? I think. I mean, that's that's minuscule. I I really I think a backup should hit about a minimum of twenty five games.
1: I think that's fair.
0: And uh, barring injury to Pekka, I mean, that's you know, the only way Carter Hunt gets twenty five games is if Pekka gets hurt for for any period of time. That's that's the only way it happens, and it's happened, but it's the only way it happens.
1: Coming up after the break, we're going to break down uh, possible targets the players should be looking at um you have something else no no i'm just laughing
2: i don't i'm lo- looking at this yahoo over here
1: yeah sorry you're...
0: i'm a very expressive person i can't hold myself
1: yeah you look like oh, what are we
0: doing now jeez I, uh, you know i fear index cards dan
1: yeah you should be
0: afraid you should be
1: very afraid i am stop it coming up after the break we're gonna break down uh possible targets got five tough questions i like this is a, like the most in-depth episode we've done all year Love it. Mm. Listen to the predcast brought to you by Lion Zone Internet Marketing Solutions.
3: These days, you need a partner current in latest website design standards, one that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need Lion Zone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402 or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lionzone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999.
1: Welcome back in uh, article surfaced from uh, the Nashville post written by David Beclair, uh addressing some of the uh, the rumor mongers like ourselves about uh, the future of Seth Jones and possibly being tangled for a trade and he got uh, David Paul to go on the record saying that Seth Jones is not going to be traded and that's fine I understand it Seth Jones really good young player probably better than anything probably has the trajectory to be the best defenseman in Nashville's history I'm I'm fine with that he's built for tomorrow's NHL. I'm completely okay with not trading Seth Jones. Yep. I'm also not okay with the roster as is. And I don't think either of you guys are right now either. Nope. As far as like knowing the obvious holes. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, uh, today's fund with index cards, uh, which if you're not familiar with the show, I usually, this is where we go super low tech and I whip out some index cards with information, some sticky notes with information. So the visual that we're going to create with this is that I have in my hand Index cards of players that the Predators should look to target in some form or fashion. Some are going to be Reynolds. some are going to be good young players they can acquire. And I have sticky notes denoting possible trade pieces. I have listed Kevin Fiala, Vladislav Kamenev, or Hamenev, however you want to pronounce his name. This week, Ponus Oberg, and actually note it. I did actually, even though I have typos elsewhere, I have the little circle thing over the letter A in Oberg. It's not Aberg; it's Oberg. Yussi Saros, Victor Arvidsson, Colton Sissons, Austin Watson, Mika Salamaki, Colin Wilson, Kelly Arncrook, and Ryan Ellis listed here, as well as their entire draft selection for the upcoming year. The goal of this challenge is we're going to figure out how much do you believe it would cost to acquire the player listed on the index card. Up first is probably the, most, the, uh, the least likely of all of them.
2: and yeah, the one I want the most.
1: Matt Duchesne. Tail of the Tape with Matt Duchesne, he's 24 years old. He's signed through 2019, after which he'll be an unrestricted free agent. The last three years, Matt Duchesne has provided 2.39 points per 60 during even strength time and a positive shot attempt ratio relative to his team of 0.9%. So of the pieces listed here, what do you believe it would cost to acquire one Matt Duchesne?
2: I personally don't think that they can acquire anything with what's right there.
1: You think it would take someone like a Seth Jones to straight up from Matt Duchesne? Mm-hmm.
2: Maybe uh, not straight up, but I mean, considering the what Colorado needs, and it's in the division. Which yeah, I that's, don't. That's the that's big the thing, thing for me is, yeah. is
0: I don't think I don't think it's a matter of can the Predators afford to trade for him. I think it's that I don't think Sackick is going to trade an elite number one center who's affordable. To, to, who's affordable to their rival team who's fighting for the same playoff spot because all you've achieved is you've made Nashville Predators a very, very strong team with the one asset they've always been missing and you're going to get a pretty good defenseman pa- and, and then a package back. Yeah.
1: A team's going to give you depth but you've just given up a number one center. I think, the teams are, I think teams in the West are especially afraid of giving Nashville that piece because they know what, what Nashville has elsewhere and this is the one thing they're missing. So Matt Duchesne's pretty much a non-starter with with a package that does not consist of Seth Jones. Yeah, I
0: think you... Well, I don't even think a Seth Jones package makes it happen. I just think Sackett does not make it that trade within the division.
2: Yeah, which sucks because I think Matt Duchesne would do awesome things here.
1: Absolutely. He's used to doing it by himself, too, so give him next to Forsberg and Neil. Woo! Up next... Save that one for later. Save that one for later. Probably the second best player of the list here. One Ryan Nugent Hopkins... Ryan Nugent Hopkins is tail of the Tape with him. 22 years old. He's signed through 2021, after which he'll be an unrestricted free agent. Over the last three years, Ryan Nugent Hopkins has provided 1.61 points per 60 minutes during even-strength play, and he's just a barely positive uh, relative shot attempts on ice. So kind of a neutral possession player so far, but he is on the Oilers. On the Oilers, yeah. He is on the Oilers. So of the pieces listed here... Could you acquire Matt? Or could you acquire uh, Ryan Nugent Hopkins with the pieces
0: listed here? Uh, no, I, I don't think, think so. so. Um, you know, we're we're looking at a team run by uh, Peter Chiarelli, and he doesn't like quote unquote soft players. Uh, so I mean, so you, you need an elite gritty player to attract his attention. And a very, very good one to to attract, you know, right to pull right new to hopping. We already
1: said we can't trade him during the middle of the year. Much I know, hard. and that's the problem. <laughs> but you look at
0: you look at the, the, the guys in front of us and there's really none of these guys fit. You know, Mika Salamaki might Fit the Chiarelli type thing because he's sort of a crash bang type guy. Sissons
2: and might do that Watson. as well.
0: Sissons, Watson, yeah, but those, but these are they don't deaf have guys. as much value right, as you can't. And you that. can't ship all three of them out in hopes of like we'll give you three guys who eh, are all right from Ryan Newton Hopkins. Like, what Fine. are you talking about?
1: I'll be. I'll let's say if I was to trade Ryan Ellis, Kevin Fiala, Mika Salamaki
0: for just Ryan Newton Hopkins. Ryan Newton Hopkins. I think that's a bad trade for the Predators. Yeah, I think
2: that's a bit of an overpayment.
0: I think, yeah, I don't, I, you don't know what you're getting from Fiala yet. So he's kind of a wild card right now, especially with his issues this year. Yeah. Uh, Mikas Alamaki is, is, he's, he, the perception that trade is going to be a throwaway player. And Ryan Ellis is not exciting enough on his own as a power play quarterback. He doesn't provide the services that the Oilers need on defense. And he's also not,
1: well, they have a Darnell Nurse already. Yeah. He's not, but he's not a gritty type player. Darnell Nurse is a pretty, I'm talking about Ryan Ellis. Okay. Well, they need someone to play beside him, so that was my thinking with that. Um, you know what? Uh, as far as who's probably the least talented, I mean, Victor Arvidsson doesn't fit the mold, but I know that they need wingers. So let's say if we throw in, instead of Salamaki, Pona Soberg. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not worried about whether that's a bad trade for the Predator or not, because to me, the worst decision that they can make is not, not getting someone I, I think, yeah, well, yeah. So Kevin, I mean, whether or not Kevin Fiala, if Kevin Fiala turns out to yeah, be the I mean, yeah, next Patrick yeah, Kane, yeah, I mean, minus other stuff, but that... That's not that's inconsequential because you're getting a 22 year old. If Chiarelli
0: will take Fiala, Oberg, and Ryan Ellis or Nugent Hopkins, yeah, thumbs up. Let's <laughs> do that right away. Yeah, if he'll take Salamaki I mean,
1: with that too. That's fine. yeah.
0: I, I just don't. I mean, well, I think the Salamaki. I don't know. It's just I, I think it's going to take more to pry Nugent Hopkins out of uh, out of uh, out of the place where the Oilers play. You the, know, Edmonton. There well, we go. Yeah, despite despite
2: the fact that there are rumors Off. around him constantly, because I mean, Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Isn't one of those you know gritty you know players that Chiarelli loves?
0: Yeah, Chiarelli loves to make stupid trades, so I mean, it might be there, but I, I, I maybe we we might end up. And this is kind of goes back to the second thing, you know. I think the league values valued Sagan more than Chiarelli did, and that hurt him. So maybe we value Ryan Hopkins more than he
1: does, and and that's the disconnect. Mm-hmm. It's hard to get into his head with some of the weird things he's done, right? So from a predator standpoint, you would not pull the trigger on Ryan Ellis, Kevin Fiala, and. Any piece over here that's not Vladislav Kamenev. Would I not pull of, the
2: trigger on it? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't not do it. I just think that it might be a little bit of an overpayment for them, if that makes sense. Because like you said... I can't see it being overpayment. Yeah, because not- like you said, I mean, the worst move that they can make is not doing anything. Uh, you're,
0: uh, I, if you're getting a number one center back for a depth specialist power play, sp- or depth specialist defenseman, mm-hmm. a... Complete enigma prospect who's gone from amazing to crap over a summer.
1: He's actually been picking it back up in Milwaukee. He had a very good game today. Well, we need,
0: yeah,
3: to, he needs we need more of those good of games.
0: I get it. And, and like, you know, uh, uh, you know, a second round and a fourth round draft pick or something like that. I, it's hard to say no to that. It's really hard to say no to that because you're getting Becky number one center. But I don't think it's enough. I don't think you pry him out of there for that amount. So pull the trigger from my perspective if if is offering New hopkins for that combination yeah why wouldn't you do it the number one center you you have to draft those you don't you don't buy them yeah unless you're dallas <laughs> dallas yeah, dallas is is a magical place uh that's a way to describe it
1: i said that's the most positive you've ever been about anything <laughs> from texas <laughs> i um yeah you hate you some texas
0: worst state no i love
1: texas yeah Texas and Florida. What's up? Alabama's Uh, not great. Better barbecue.
0: Next is... I thought you like white barbecue, I guess. Yeah, that's Alabama. I know. I don't like white barbecue.
1: Ryan Johansson. Tail the tape with Ryan Johansson. 23 years old. He signed through 2017. Afterwards, he's going to be a restricted free agent, so you still have a contract negotiation on the horizon with Ry Joe. Three years, the last three years, he's a uh, 1.90 production over 16. Um... His Corsi, his accurate shot attempts is actually negative slightly, 0.2%. So, not a great possession player, but it's Columbus.
0: Who's had some tragically bad couples.
1: Last couple was in tragically, tragically bad. That's a tragically bad linemate yeah. until the magic rise of Nick Folino. So, with Ryan, with Ryan Johansson, the situation in Columbus is, is that they do have Brandon Dubensky, who is a competent kind of 1B, 2A center, and Boone Jenner, who's still a project. And there's been some frosty contract uh, negotiations with Johansson so far. With what we have on the table right here, and just what I've listed, Colin Wilson, Cali Yarncrook, Ryan Ellis as your established NHL players, your young players, Victor Arvidsson, Colton Sissons, Austin Watson, Mika Salamaki, um, top-end prospects. And this is kind of thin with Predators because there's no defenseman prospects listed because, well, there aren't a whole lot of them right now. Yusei Saros, uh, Pona Soberg, Vladislav Kamenev, Kevin Fiala and this year's draft picks. With what's on the table here, what combination could land Johansson, in your opinion? So I, I think this is the
0: first one you put down that's actually gets in the realm of realism as far as things that I, I could see happening. Um, and it, that includes some trades that are not to be spoken of, apparently, because um, they're not in our listed assets. Again, um, Boyle
1: went on and said that Jones was... Well, no,
0: I'm not, not even talking about Jones. Weber is... Tra- never trade Jones, but... <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think the... Uh, and this is, this is kind of a really weird place to be. To tr- to get a number one center, typically the teams the other team is going to want a center back. Even if it's not as good, they, they'll want a center unless they're just brimming up the cup of centers, which is not something that happens very often, unless you're the Oilers unless and you have infinite draft yeah. picks. Uh, so that's really tricky. So... I'm looking at the list over there and I'm like, okay, Cali Yanker can play center. Do you give him up when he's just starting to maybe emerge as a guy who can play top six minutes? That's really scary. This but he's val- also his, been playing mostly but, a wing.
2: Yeah, and his value is really high at this point right yeah.
0: now. But it, as I don't think his
1: value is very high outside of Nashville. But regardless, it, it's, 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 yeah. it's in a winger role. Yeah. Uh,
0: Colin Wilson has not been a center since the Predators
1: drafted him. Uh,. They tried, and then Cal Yarncrook was lighting up in Milwaukee, and they called him so up. So Colton
0: Sissons is actually playing center sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So maybe you... you, you More often doing, than not, um, he's been playing center. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe you're looking at, uh, you know, like a Sissons-Ellis second-round pick. That's a pretty sweet... That's a, that's a pretty big trade. And I
2: think I think Ellis is probably the crux of that trade there just because of the shape that Columbus's defense is yeah, in. It, I think that he'd be a great fit over there if they, if they needed a defenseman.
0: Yeah, and I think... Well, I think they do need defensive depth. It gives them some center depth, a decent center depth, uh, and it gives a second-round draft pick, which is a nice draft pick to have. Uh, and it's also... It's a it's a trade for a big center. So it's got... It's going to hurt both sides, and giving up Sissons and Ellis hurts. But we're getting you Ryan Johansson back is really the bomb for that.
1: The kind of the, the wild card with this with I don't even have it listed here is that no one Columbus is not fully out of the playoff race because it's the east and the east is just ugh. you may be able to offload a guy like a Mike Ribeiro on Columbus.
0: Yeah, I mean the Ribeiro contract. I mean if we if we it's can tradable. if we can start drawing from off-table assets. Yeah. Um yeah, I mean if you can if you can send Ribeiro in a package deal for Johansson, do it. um, it's sort of a, a rounded out sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely maybe. I mean, maybe you could so do like a Ellis, Ellis Ribeiro, Ribeiro, Ribeiro yeah, uh, in, in a draft pick, or even if granted, I don't think anyone rates Ribeiro high enough to make him kind of the centerpiece. Mm-hmm. No, he's sort of a, he's a, he'd be a throw-in player. Yeah, with he's his. he's a make sure you gonna center back type guy.
1: But this is a case where Columbus, you know, maybe they've soured on Ryan Johansson. Maybe you know he's not a um, Tortorella guy, which. Jokes can, on them getting. Let's, let's,
0: can we can we have a moment and list all the players in the league who are Tortorella guys?
1: Uh, Dubinsky seems to be thriving with him back in town, but that's gonna that'll that'll blow out soon.
0: And done. Moving on, uh, yeah. maybe Tanner Glass, uh,
1: Dalton Prout.
0: <laughs> hey, you know who's who's like a really great one-one comparison? Tanner Glass did some research in this. Cody Bass. Ooh. They are they are actually like neck and neck in stats. It's awesome.
1: Last one of this category, Leon Dreisaitl. 20 years old, he's on an entry-level contract through 2017, which means he's going to be an unrestricted free agent afterwards. Since he's been drafted and since he started playing in the Oilers, he's at 1.83 points per 60. He's a positive possession, uh, 4.7% relative shots attempts to the rest of his team. Again, it's the Oilers, but he's the best on the Oilers as far as uh, that metric is concerned. So the thing with Edmonton is you have Connor McDavid, you have uh, Nugent Hopkins, and you have Dreisaitl. All three of those guys play center. All three of those guys are top six or top six worthy. They've been trying to move Dreisaitl to wing, but since McDavid's been hurt, Dreisaitl stepped up, and he's been a very good center for them. Mm-hmm. If you're Edmonton and you know you have massive holes in your defense, what's stopping you? I, I actually I, I think it's harder to trade for
0: Dreisaitl than it is to trade for Ryan Ninja Hopkins. Ooh. I do think I do think so because with as, as young as Dressel is and as, how much he's stepped up and how much you know Ryan Hopkins is not entirely comfortable. He's un- I would call him in in the words of European soccer, he appears to be unsettled.
1: His form isn't great.
0: His yeah, his form isn't great. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I really think that's the situation. Uh, and so I, I therefore I think Dressel is a harder asset to get. Certainly in Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Ryan Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Yeah, it's
2: I don't know. Uh, Especially because, I mean, what you said earlier is how well he's uh, acclimated himself again as Connor McDavid's been out. Uh, He was up last year and did okay. Uh, That was more of a developmental problem with the Orioles. uh, Orioles? Uh, Oilers. Uh, Big surprise there. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I, I think I might be with Link on that one where it's. It's kind of one of the things that we talk about with, you know, trading Jones. I mean, do you want to trade him because you don't know what you may have further down the line and he's stepped into such an important role already?
1: So you wouldn't say, so it would be more than a, more than that, just a, I was initially going to put together I, Kevin Fiala because the Oilers, having Teddy Purcell play top six minutes. They need, I mean, Kevin Fiala, A-grade winger prospect, sure. Ryan Ellis, buck-moving defenseman, Okay. Couple that with a draft pick, and I don't care which one you take. I mean, if you want a first round pick for that, may be a bit I of mean, an overpayment.
0: By, no, I think I think you're. Un- I think that's not enough. I mean, I look at that and I see again a specialist, an unproven winger, and a, a, a grab bag, a mystery box.
1: What about? I mean, this is a failure I mean, of the Predators organization then, because if Kevin Fiala, I mean, if he's good enough to quote play in the NHL, it's just a question of depth. Why not bring him up to raise up his trade value? If nothing else, why are you, why, gonna are you put ca- why are you calling up Cody Bass?
0: Because Kevin Fiala's was not playing well and had some perha- like pers- persistent behavioral issues, apparently. Which hey, I mean, this, we're talking about the NHL. These guys are all like, well, character, character, character. I mean, look what happened to to Hosang. Yeah. Okay. Who just dropped, 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 and then you know. I, I, I still think uh, just to go on a tangent, like Hosang I think is it's a situation becoming a self-fulfilling prophecy. Everyone says that he's got always behavioral issues as a problem. And I think it it affects him. Evander mm-hmm. Kane? Uh, maybe Evander Kane as well. I think you say these things enough about somebody and they start to believe it and they and they start acting out in that way. Uh, you know, I, I think if people were more supportive of like guys like Hosang and, and said, Okay, well, you know, he's he may be a little bit showboat, he gets really excited, you know, he's uh, and you fig- you work with them rather than try to completely break them down into what a North American hockey player should be, you don't create more problems. And that's all they did with Hosang. And I think, you know, you have to keep that in mind when you're evaluating how teams are trying to raise these players because they want to mold them into a personality, which, especially a guy coming over from Europe, is even harder a young, to do.
2: Especially a young kid like that as well.
0: Yeah. I mean,. It, you're starting to have this what what you can call like really a first real generation of Swiss players starting to come out who are really high quality. And we haven't had, there's not a history of the angel having a ton of Swiss players is the odd, really good one. So you have got a new culture is being integrated um and new personality types and new generation. So, you know, I, I don't, I lost my point a while ago. So go ahead and just like throw a rock at my head and get me to like knock me out to stop me. Um, unless, or remind me of where I was going.
2: You're talking about is uh, probably an overpayment when you've got a, uh, uh unproven winger yeah, there I, and why that he didn't get called up in the oh, NHL first. Called, right. you, I think, it, yeah. again, it was just a matter of bringing Kevin Fiala up to, what, play fourth-line minutes?
1: Well, he's, you know he's not going to be playing fourth-line minutes. There's other players that fit the fourth-line role more than he does.
2: That were injured.
1: Probably, because
2: yeah, because <laughs> cool. goose wasn't there. Uh, nice was playing. Salamaki was on IR. Salamaki was uh, Bork was on IR too. Okay, um, uh, so yeah. that that's where you have that thin roster move right now. because I remember putting everything together and it was like, man, is Bass really going to be on the third line? Is he going to be on the fourth line with oh, someone no, actually, I don't like? Any of
1: this? Wait, that,
0: I think that's a day. You, yeah, I was I would have expected him once to go with seven D. yeah,
1: mm-hmm. throw Barley out there. Get him get him fresh. Make him part of a trade discussion. All right, I can't believe you get picked up off waivers. Before I even go to uh, before I even go to our rentals section of this, we only got two rentals of these four guys. Which one would which one would you rather see the Predators pursue this year? Just whether you want to look at the future in the short term, whether you want to look at the immediate effects, or do you want to look longer down the road? Because for me, it's it's Leon.
0: So I, I think balancing it all with a, with realism, I think if they want to make a move before the deadline, it's Johansson. Mm-hmm. If they make a summer move, I'd like to see uh Hopkins Nugent Hopkins,
2: yeah, because I think again, of all those four, I would love for them to pursue matt Duchesne. i just it's not going to happen, yeah, so he's I'm the just, least likely I'm just tearing up that card that doesn't exist so I think i would I would agree with that one just because I don't see Edmonton uh and Chiarelli even parting with Drycidadal. I feel like you would part much easier with RNH than with Drysidle. So realistically, I think right now Johansson uh, or Johansson, sorry, uh, thinking of caps. Uh, so right now Johansson uh, over the summer RNH. Yeah,
1: I would. I mean, I think the, with balancing with realism, I think you guys are right. I just I love Leon. I'd rather stop. He's oh,
0: a great no, player. I mean, yeah. If if I could just if I had my druthers of uh, like uh, Oilers players, I mean, I probably which I said it would certainly be very, very interesting. I mean, the way he stepped in, the way he succeeded in, in the face of challenges are really, really great. But I just have to be like, okay, what, what could actually possibly happen in the realm of the NHL? And Leon just seems like a distant glimmer. Not quite as distant as Duchesne, but distant. We'll
1: come back to those two later on. Reynolds, our favorite. Oh, God. Let's get the obvious one out of the way. No. <laughs> Eric Stahl. I will trade last, nothing for Eric Stahl. Last three years, 1.7 points per 60, uh, relative uh, courseing or relative shots attempts, plus 3.6%. Knock on Eric Stahl I personally have right now is he's not playing center. Eric Stahl right now is is uh, playing more wing beside his brother, even though Eric Stahl is a competent center, who right now is just not putting forth enough effort in my That's because he's getting old. Cause he get, well, he's 31. And his body is giving out at 31. That says a lot. But for a short-term rental, he could be acquired pretty cheap. Sure.
0: He could maybe, probably, yeah. I'm,
1: I'm sure you could get him for cheap. You're probably, if you're giving up a rental, you're not going to give up Wilson, Yarncroke, or Ellis. So let's get that off the table. Even though Carolina does love them some nepotism and Cal Yarncroke is Elias Lundholm's cousin, that's off the table. What would you be willing to give up if nothing else happens? Give up for Eric Stahl. Do I have to have an answer? Well, if you say no, you, you go back on the worst thing, back what you said earlier. The worst thing, the worst move is not making a move. Well, no, the worst move, the, the, okay, let me add another worst move. The That's worst move is is
0: to acquire a center that is less good than some of the centers you have right now. So you mean to tell
1: me that Eric Stahl is worse right now than, than uh, Mike Barrow, Mike Fisher?
0: I would, I, I'd much rather have the mediocre assets we have now than to acquire a new mediocre asset who I don't think is much better.
1: Do you realize that if you, if you do acquire Eric Stahl, Gostad may not play? And who's playing in his stead? Fisher, Fisher,
0: Fisher in fourth line minutes. No, he could do that. But you're preserving Fisher. You're doing everything you said. Did you? But, wanted. I, but I don't. Why would you pick up a mediocre center? That's he's
2: something.
1: Ab- I'd say he's above average. I'd say he's above average. The, the thing, great the, I mean my, you can say it all you want he's
2: mediocre <laughs> my, my problem with this trade and this idea is not even about giving up assets for uh, past his prime center it's the fact that okay so if, if you do do this you give up assets for it you are in the same exact boat Next time, right? Whether or not he resigns if he resigns. Cool. Great. He's probably going to cost more than he should. And he's also going to be deteriorating like we're seeing right now with Ribeiro and with Fisher. If he doesn't, then you just traded assets for nothing and you still have to find a number one center.
1: Correct. This is all correct. But if they do nothing else, they need to at least add something at the top of the lineup. Do they not? I'm playing devil's advocate. I don't I mean, want to yeah, make I, this you move. Can, I'd rather them do either Ryan Nugent Hopkins or Ryan Johansson. Yes, yeah, we're all um, in accord there. Uh, you could, but they got to do something this year. True. And
2: yeah, and um, yes, yes, they do. I mean, I think we're all in agreement with that. But does this move put them over the hump as far as uh, if they did this and gave up assets for it, would they be able to go to a Stanley Cup final, have a chance to win the Stanley Cup? With Eric Stahl, I do not think that that is the case.
1: Okay.
0: Fair enough. Yeah, it's just, it doesn't, I mean, it, it, that smacks of a panic trade, and that's the last thing I want to see.
1: I got another rental that no one's really, I've never heard anybody mention it. Yuri Hoodler, unrestricted free agent at the end of this year. This is purely a rental, but over the last three years, compare this to Eric Stalt with who had 1.7 points per 60. Hoodler has 2.17 points per 60. He's also a positive possession player on Calgary, which was the, uh, Poor man's Colorado last year. Yuri Hoodler makes a lot of sense in some ways. He's less expensive than Stahl. He's not going to cost as many assets as Stahl. And his body isn't breaking down like Stahl's is. But
2: how old is Yuri Hoodler now? He's, he's about
1: is... the, he's the same age as Stahl. He's 31. Is he really? If you're just looking for a rental, Hoodler be a guy I would call before Eric Stahl. Hmm. And you can hmm. get him, I believe, for something similar to a uh, first or second. I don't
2: know. Honestly, I think you could probably do it for a second or third.
1: That's a move I'd make tomorrow.
2: So that is a uh, for those of you who can't see the Paul index card, yeah.
1: Second round pick for Yuri Hoodler.
0: I my apathy about this trade is so <laughs> deep. I, that, I think that's great. Do it, <laughs> whatever.
1: Uh, I mean, it, Yuri Hoodler had uh, 70-something points last year.
0: And has how many times has he done that in his career?
1: He's a, he's gotten close a couple of times. Uh, last year was definitely like a career year for him. A career not year at
0: age 30, that's not, a, that's not worrisome. Mm, that, that, that sounds familiar. It's a
1: rental. It's a rental. <laughs> it's only for one year! You gotta do something.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think as far as doing something and then figuring it out later, um, I mean, that's something that, again... Does it put them over yeah. that hump? I don't think so, but no, at least it's I, something. I, think,
0: I mean, for these guys, I think, I I think you might actually, because it's Calgary. I think you're going to have to pay more than you think. Maybe I think
2: it might you might need to, they're they're
1: have to spend it. They're not retaining Gary Hoodler,
0: but that doesn't mean they can't charge you
2: for him. No. It's not. Uh, I mean, they they gave up what a second I mean, and a third round pick uh, for Curtis. Who is
0: what like a fifty point player typically? Like that's his kind of career. is like a fifty point player.
1: Mm, I is he, I mean maybe closer to sixty, but uh, we, we can look that up. I mean, you guys got computers. Um, to me, that makes more sense than Stall in a lot of ways. I mean, he's been playing top line center for the last two years in Calgary. Been doing so very quietly and. Well,
0: I so pretty- I checked his stats. Yuri Hillard definitely has an error on Warren Ice. Um, oh, oh no, no, no! For his uh, his age twenty two season two thousand seven, it says he scored one hundred and forty two goals.
1: Hell yeah! Uh, and had twelve assists. Are we sure that's not being run by SAP?
0: <laughs> it's it's very possible. I mean, you know, last year he's, I would say he's, you know. 50-ish point player. Yeah, I mean, you look at it... And I mean, he's, been so, on, he's been on a heavy decline the past few years. Yeah, so, I the mean, st- last start,
2: year, starting with... Year. Uh, let me see. This, starting with 2008, we've got 42, 57, uh, 37...
1: Which was the lockout year?
2: Uh, it, we, we, I haven't gotten into it yet. He scored... Um, 27 points in 42 games during the lockout. That was his first season with the Flames, um, and then scored 54 points after that, and then 76. Now he's uh, during 24 games this year, he scored 16 points.
0: I just think if if Paul Gostad costs a four, first round draft pick, Erihulu is going to cost a first round draft pick and something else.
2: Yeah, but that was David Boyle overpaying. Check for out his hero chart. Something.
1: Hero chart's pretty strong.
0: I it think looks, all this. He looks I, like a, looks like a this, really yeah. good. He looks like a really good two-way center.
1: Yeah, um, and I
2: think all this is to say that it'd be something. Yeah, Again, I mean, it'd be something. Like
0: I look at it and I say, I think you're going to have to do a, a good prospect and a first-round draft pick for him. I because you know teams who who they're going to make you. They want to make. They're going to make you bleed because they yeah. know you're desperate. So they're going to make you bleed. You always pay more at the March deadline than you would at another time of the year.
1: Yeah, it, but if, if you can't do if you can't get one of the Ryans. So I think that the question is, do the Predators
0: want to give up another first-round draft pick, which they ha- are in a terrible habit of doing at this point, point. Um, and a-, a really good prospect? I mean, it, like I said, it's fine. I would be okay with it. I'm not excited about it. It could work.
1: But it puts Mac in the same position. I, I get But it that. doesn't... Yeah, it just
0: doesn't... Like, I'm not huge on rental players. I think... My opinion, when you bring in a rental player, it, it needs to be a depth utility player, because... You just don't know if an elite player is a product of a system or or what, or a product of line mates. You have to do that. I mean, you don't always know until you pull him out of there. You can say, well, he's got really good individual, but he's still out there. You're still judging and calculating things based on who they're playing with and who they're not playing with. So, you know, I just I, I like to trade at the deadline for depth players. Anything more than that worries me. And I think Hoodler, if you're looking at him as a depth player, Good, good, for your team. I think he. I mean, that'd be an amazing pickup
1: as a depth depth player.
2: But he would be probably the guy. Yeah, I mean,
0: well, if you're he would, looking for him to be the guy, he'd be sold us
1: probably as a depth player. But if he does what he did last year, he's the guy. I mean, that's Yeah,
0: and, and granted, I mean, we we saw Ribeiro last year do what you know, do no some one saw amazing that work. No, one and one saw then
1: that this year we're
0: seeing kind of what Ribeiro probably is more actually like at this point in his career. Mm-hmm. What's to say? Hoodler doesn't revert to what he was for the past couple of years before he went to Calgary, which was a eh, you know fine player, but not really anything to get super excited about.
1: So circling back around to the two Ryan's, and we'll close the book on this after we get through that. Then we'll wrap up with five tough questions. Which one's going to cost less assets? The or less assets? The um, Nugent Hopkins trade or a potential Johansson trade?
0: If we're assuming over the summer or at the deadline?
1: We're assuming tomorrow. Tomorrow. like uh, assume, or Whenever McDavid gets back. Let's let's look at it that way. Let's say that Columbus stays kind of not really in the playoff hump but not completely eliminated and is already looking around. Because, you know, apparently they've been shopping Johansson as well. They're mm-hmm. subtly shopping him. Uh, let's say whenever McDavid gets back and Shirelli's like, you know, Newton Hopkins is soft, fine which which one I think Johansson's going to be cheaper I think it's probably some, I mean with the contract especially I, I mean, think you,
0: I think Johansson will be cheaper
1: one is signed through 2021 one is signed through 2017 that's going to have a negotiation which personally I like that better I like having the control of the contract a little bit more
2: Yeah I'll the uh, rub on that one too is though he has had a tendency to play hardball with his contracts too. So if he wants to stick in Nashville, that's going to be one thing. He was uh, the fourth
1: overall pick behind Hall and Sagan. And I forget was the third guy on that trade. Or third was it guy. it Truba? No, it wasn't Truba. because no, that, was, that was the Vander Kane year. That was the Vander... No, Truba was, um, was no, that the was Latin- Philip Latin- Forsberg year. That's right. Jacob Truba was You guys have better memories of drafts than I do. I have to look I would have to look those tables that up. That draft was hilarious. It was Yakupov, Ryan Murray, who also is a part of the reason why Columbus needs defensive help, because Ryan Murray has been mishandled from the moment he was drafted by Columbus. Also he
2: can't stay healthy.
1: Nope. Truba and then a few then a bunch of defensemen, then Philip Forsberg. And go oh, far got Galchinyak. up there too. Uh, I mean so Johansson's going to be cheaper. He does have like the heart issue as well, which you know, that's kind of a all over the place issue. What are you comfortable with parting with? Let's 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 hammer it out. I thought we already did that. I mean, no, you you never we never quite agreed on it. Ellis, because so El, if you're going to move a defenseman, Ellis is the one being moved, right? Yeah, I thought oh, we yeah, said I,
2: Ellis Sissons, and uh, a a a pick.
1: Yeah, a picker of prospects. Yeah. Would either be uh, either you comfortable trading with Kevin Fiall at this point?
2: If it gets Ryan Johansson back, yes. My my stance is is that to make the team better, no one should be untouchable, because no matter what you're going to do to get a talented player like a Johansson or like a Nugent Hopkins, you are going to have to trade good players that and, the fan base loves to get that. I mean,
0: it's going it, to hurt if you could. I mean, if you could swing Sisson's... Fiala and maybe a pick package that would be even better because I'd hate to give up because I'm not super excited about the Predators' uh, depth at all all the time, especially mid season. I'm not excited about that. I'm giving up that sort of depth and not having a sort of like defensive depth. Yeah, defense, yeah. Defense depth in mid season. I feel better about that over the summer.
2: But I feel like with what Columbus is going to want is they're going to want a piece of the defense.
0: Yeah, so. Yeah, they really are.
1: And even though I like I like Ellis a whole lot, I like his contract even more. Yeah, uh, it's it stings to give him, it would sting to give up Ellis midseason. What if you got back so? a because Columbus has drafted a lot of big defensemen, guys like Dalton Prouts and guys like them. Um, what if you got one of them back? Would that make a difference uh, for you? I,
0: I it probably I don't know a ton about what they've been doing those guys, so it's hard for me to really give got you a good you. answer.
1: Gotcha. All right, so as a as a review rentals eh, eh, you're, you're getting kind of a slight upgrade of anything over what you already have and i i'm agree with you on this that we're i don't i'm not a fan of us being back in the same situation next year and the year after and the year after because that's what this franchise has done over the last what five years mm-hmm. with that we turn to five tough questions Number one, who has been more disappointing for the Predators this year? And you could pick anybody in the, on the team. Uh, oh, Comment suggestions, anybody? Mike Fisher, Colin Wilson, or is there someone else? Mike Ribeiro. More disappointing than Mike Fisher.
0: Yeah, because Mike Ribeiro is, is not only not really scoring a bunch, but he's also a jerk and has gotten tossed twice already for game misconducts for just opening his mouth. So that's pretty disappointing.
2: Yeah, I, I think we all uh, knew that there was going to be a drop-off. I don't think that it was going to be as pronounced, um, which, again, is one of the reasons why I didn't want them to sign him in the first place, let alone for two years. Um, but I think you'd also have to throw Colin Wilson up there as well uh, because there are always always question marks around him. Uh, we said it when he, he signed that contract. We said when he was in negotiations for it. It was like, yes, he had a great season last year. Fantastic. Is that Does that mean that Colin Wilson has arrived? Does that mean that he's going to be a uh, perennial 2020 guy? We don't know because we just have no idea because of how inconsistent and out there Colin Wilson is. And then it's come right around again where he's he has eight assists this year and a goal in garbage time.
0: I have, I have no idea what to say about Colin Wilson. He is just a mysterious player. And, but, like, in not what, in a good way.
2: Yeah, watching him uh, over this week, uh, he did have a couple of, find chances but then i noticed that there were a couple times during the red wings game where he was coming in by himself on the rush uh he had a area at the top of the circles to where he could have probably pumped a shot on that it probably wouldn't have gone in uh but it may have started something may have gotten saved maybe they started in the defensive or the offensive zone after that he does not shoot rolls around the neck gets creamed by whatever defenseman is there and then they pick up the puck and then they skate it out of the zone like that's just how it's going
1: Points per sixty, Mike Ribeiro one point seven seven, Mike Fisher zero point seven three. Well, I
0: see. I can't really be disappointed by Mike Fisher because I expected him to be like this. This is what I expected from him.
2: He's also not. I don't think that we'd say he's there to put up the points like Mike Mike Ribeiro he's is there supposed to be a good be.
1: guy. But he's getting paid more than Mike Ribeiro, right? But
2: he's 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 beat up. I, uh, you know, he his his return
0: from injury last year was phenomenal and not not really repeatable and so i expected him to hit the hit a real honest decline that you get with that age with that wear and tear and he did and that's fine uh
1: so based on expectations that you know he's been more disappointing
0: based on
1: expectations for has been more disappointing you expected more from a barrel well
0: yeah he's supposed to be the guy who sits up the plays and makes things happen, and he's doing none of those and getting tossed from the game.
2: And then you look at that, and that's probably affecting the rest of the team. Where mm-hmm. it's Forsberg and Smith and Wilson—I mean, Ribeiro and Wilson haven't played a whole lot together, um, as far as like even strength in that time. But I mean, like they're they're a, a line on the power play. I mean, it's Colin Wilson, Mike Ribeiro, Craig Smith. That is the second power play unit, and they're not doing a whole lot.
1: No, they're not. There's no one. That, there's no one out there that takes the first shot other than Craig Smith sometimes when mm-hmm. he gets enough space and they're not creating enough space for him with you on that pull back up here number two Apparently, like the one time I could, my tablet wants to like freeze up in the history of the show what's the time on this uh, we're at 137 right now Jesus long show Number two, in today's NHL, and this is a philosophy question for the two of you, can a counterattacking hockey team such as the Preds in 2012 and what we're seeing from the Florida Panthers and the Rangers this year be consistently successful over the course of an entire season?
2: So are we talking about like the Avs and the Maple Leafs and things like that or just like the general idea of you let the shots go and then we'll take advantage of what you give us afterwards. We'll,
1: we'll we'll play for we'll play for the counterattack, we'll play for the rebound, we'll play for fast breaks, we'll play for breakaways.
2: Over the course of the entire season I don't think so because you look at what the Rangers are doing right now and they're falling in a slump because all of that is catching up to that. And the one of the reasons why they were able to be s- so successful with it at the beginning of the season for the first, you know, 15 20 games whatever it was was because they have arguably the greatest goaltender who's playing in the in the world right now and he was able to minimize those mistakes so that they could uh find uh, an opening the other way but as far as relying on that all season i don't think that it's a strategy that could be successful let alone win anyone a championship
0: yeah uh, counterattacking is all about breakouts and the first chance and luck also Uh, well it's hockey there's more luck than anyone would, would care to admit uh but it is really difficult if your strategy is collect the puck after the shot's been taken by the other team, break out cleanly, enter the zone cleanly, get the puck on net from a dangerous scoring play, scoring area, and keep in mind, if you're doing it on the rush, on the counterattack, there's a really good chance that goaltender's not going to be screened, so he's going to be seeing and tracking. So you're kind of hoping that you're going to have a lot of odd man rushes and things like that. There's a lot of things you can't control for that need to go right for that to work night in and night out. Uh, the times the counterattack works is is when you are able to take advantage of the little moments. Counterattacking in hockey needs to be a tactic and not a strategy. And if you use it as a strategy, it's not going to be successful as a, as a season-long effort.
2: Right. And you look at the teams that have gone to the cup finals in the last couple of years or gone to even the conference finals or won the Stanley Cup. They've all been aggressive teams that have peppered the other person with shots, got um, um, sustained pressure in their zone and just gone from there.
1: With yeah. the exception of the Rangers when they made the finals against the Kings, but we see it's how that, we see how that's oh, right. Out. But King Henry, yeah. yeah. Number three. Now that we've seen over a quarter of the season, what would you do or what would you suggest to create more scoring as far as a rule change goes in the NHL?
0: I happen to fall on the side where I don't really think there's a problem, so Jeez, I I don't. I, I've really got nothing to add. I mean, make the nets bigger, you cause issues. Make the goaltenders' pads small; The goaltenders are not going to go for it. They're going to complain. They might get injured more often. Who knows what's going to happen?
2: Well, the thing about that is is that if you make the nets bigger, it's a quick fix, maybe within a well, couple well, years. And if, then and then all of a sudden, the goaltenders are going to well, figure out how if, to do that.
0: Well, if you wind a net, you have to drill new holes. And the there's complex systems underneath those those rinks right. for refrigeration and everything. So you have to figure out what's beneath there, figure out where you can drill, where it's safe to... Uh, and, and so that's, you know, that's an expense for the teams and who know, I mean, it it may increase scoring some, I just think it's not really an issue. Uh, the games are more fun to watch now than they were 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and, you know, if teams start copying or trying to copy Dallas stars, yeah, scoring will go up by itself.
1: I, I have a solution and I haven't heard any really, I haven't heard a whole lot of mentioning about this. What did the NFL do to make their product better? I have no idea. uh, Made it less about football and more about marketing. (laughs) Yes, that is true. But as far as making the game itself better and not just bigger. Uh, Banned end zone dances.
2: That's the opposite. Kickoffs uh, earlier.
0: They
1: called more penalties. See, okay. I won't (laughs) argue with
2: that up and down, because if you call more penalties and you do, you know, oh, we're going to have a full two minutes on the power play now, all you're doing is... No, ar-
1: not, not, not the whole two minutes. Right, no, 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 no. I, I
2: get that, but this, all of these exceptions are for, like, power plays. So if you get more power plays, you are artificially creating more scoring from a well, different I, I
0: side. I think, you, Dan, you might argue that you're advocating for Call the penalties
1: that are happening. Not yes. call more, call what's happening. Yes, Tighter. call what's yeah. ice tighter. I, that, because at, at some point, organically, the defense will be will back off a little bit more. And then that's exactly what we've gotten in the NFL I right mean, now.
0: That's okay, and it's hard to argue about, no, don't call all the penalties. Well, yeah, you should just call the penalties and be consistent. Right. The thing that I don't like, and this is just me, I really don't like special teams play all that much. I mean, a well-executed power play is super fun to watch, only when they score. Uh, other than that, I really don't enjoy special teams. I'd much rather watch 5-on-5 five five hockey. I agree. So, you know,
1: great, you may increase scoring, but I'm going to have to sit through more power
0: plays and PKs that I really don't want to watch.
1: Eventually, that'll, that's what's going to happen. But over time, your defense is going to be trained differently. It's gonna be more about positioning and less about clutching and grabbing. So eventually, you're going to get more of an open wow, European-style I mean, game. I'm thinking
0: so little clutching and grab. Well, I mean, the, this is like still a, this small is like ice. a. I mean, part of the reason is the
1: smaller ice. This That's is a like a three indicator. to five-year plan. Eventually, when you're, when you're just calling games tighter, you're going to have the game open up a bit more.
2: You know what? Also, might be within that three to five window as well. Is just training like more training from the shooters. Like, I mean, you look at how far goaltending has come right now is that they are so advanced as far as what they look at their training regiments and things like that. So eventually in the uh, minors and juniors and things like that, the kids are going to train harder to make their shots go in. And I think that with that, you could try and beat the goaltenders in what they're doing. I don't think it's going to be a foolproof method, but I think that by training harder, and figure out better ways to shoot different systems. It could lead to more scoring.
0: I, I've I've actually had a thought of the solution. Let's hear it. You you look to um, other successful, exciting, fun to watch dynamic hockey leagues. Uh, you look to what what makes women's hockey different than men's hockey. No checking. If you can't check a guy, there's going to be a lot more movement, a lot more space, a lot more about positioning. I bet you're going to see. You might see an uptick in in, in goals. No, concu- because less concussions, fewer concussions, fewer injuries. It solves a lot of problems. Of course, it's n- literally never going to even be discussed. <laughs> like this is probably the first person in like this entire conversation. People around have been screaming scoring. at
2: their radios right now the entire time and <gasps> saying that. Yeah,
0: I mean, I don't even I don't even know if I like the idea. I don't even know if it's a good idea. But if you want to increase scoring, take
1: out checking. I like it. I like it as an idea. I don't know if they'll do it or not. I know they're, not sure. gonna it, they they're not going to do remove it, they're not going
2: to Remove the goalies, too.
1: Yeah, screw it. Just to remove the goalies. Number four. This is good. Given what we know about the Predators roster and what holes it has, such as no number one center, plenty of depth elsewhere, and when now players like, Web, like uh, Weber and Rene just essentially lighting another year on fire, assuming they don't handle this issue, how frustrating is this era or this year of Predators hockey? Knowing what the obvious solution to their issue is, and knowing that the team is not going to address it,
2: uh, very, I mean, I like extremely. Well, well I, I think.
0: Well, uh, it's it's what makes it frustrating is that the Predators have been built for years to be good enough to bring people in the door and spend money. That means, and this is this is not a, a you know revelation to anybody because everyone knows this. That just means that they've had year after year after year of mediocre draft, first-round draft picks, of not being able to get up high. They've never been allowed to be bad.
1: With the exception Uh, of one year.
0: And the one year they got to be bad, they had a chance to get several really good centers, and none of them were available by the time. And and they got instead a really, really good defenseman, which really didn't do what they needed. I mean, Barkov is so good. I mean, Florida, the the Florida game, Mm -hmm. Panthers got trounced. You know who wasn't getting trounced? Barkov. That's amazing. Uh, So that's what frustrates me is is that, and this is more about the league than the team, is that the league, if you run your franchise to not lose a ton of money, to try to compete, try try to really be everything the NHL wants you to be, you're at a huge disadvantage because you can't get the single most important asset to a hockey team, which is a number one center. That's what frustrates
2: me. I think one of the more frustrating things for me is that it looks like from what I've seen, from what you two have seen, from what so many people who, uh, you know, I admire and trust about the sport and know what they're talking about. There is obviously identifiable gaps in what the Predators are playing, and they're not doing anything to adjust those. And it's just like you how see, do you? I don't know. I guess I mean maybe and that maybe that's what's so frustrating is that you you see those gaps you know that there's got to be something that you can do but you can't do anything about it. I'm sure that Boyle is pro- probably feels the same way as, I mean like I do not think for one second that he has not been trying to improve yeah, this I, hockey team.
0: They're just in such a weird position where I you know you you look in and you wonder if there's the willingness and the ability to trade for number one's to, to to rip the band-aid off mm-hmm. and move out a guy who's going to really probably make the fan base angry and the predators hate doing that they mm-hmm. hate to make the fan base angry
1: i mean except well they traded blake jeffrey on that was a big deal i mean we, we don't look back on it now it's like oh that wasn't a big deal well, he was a homegrown player but that
0: was <laughs> i mean that was that was heavily heavily weighted to the sentimental side i think to get the number one center it's going to it's going to be sentimentality it's going to be on ice presence it's going to be marketing presence it's it's going to hurt across the board, and the Predators really don't like doing that.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I we, uh, we talked yeah, about it, it before hurts. the show. Yeah, it hurts too much yeah, to, we, to pull in the talk, number one center. Yeah, we talked about it before the show about uh, how all about marketing this team is.
0: Yeah, I mean, they either need to—they I mean, they don't want to have seasons that are failures because, one, you need to fail— you either fail in the exact right year. or You have to fail consistently and hope, and, and then get that that center. Or even worse, you fail intentionally. Yeah, exactly. And and none of these things will sit well. I, I don't want to talk about failing intentionally because that's a whole different beast. But uh, you know, having those bad seasons is not something the Predators want because they walk a fine line as far as revenues and things like that. They cannot do that, and I don't know if they're capable of. of you know, rebuilding the team based off of a massive trade that's going to anger a lot of fans. There's some truth to that. Mm.
1: On, as far as the frustration skill goes, it goes it's it, it's kind of back where the um, I don't know, like the 2012 to 2013 just that massive drop off, and just seeing them sink all this money into like a bunch of grinders that were overpaid. This is a lot. This is almost that level of frustration for me, just because. Knowing what the issue is, knowing how knowing how they would address it, knowing that they're not going to address it in the way that, because let's I mean if we, what are your odds personally of the Predators going after either Ryan Johansson or Ryan Nugent Hopkins?
2: Ten percent, maybe. Oh, I was going to go like five. Yeah, that's yeah. May- that's like oh high.
1: And if you look at who's won a Stanley Cup over the last decade, it's players like this that are mature. It's not players like Mike Ribeiro stringing you know just you know, his last couple of years together. It's not that kind of guy. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. I mean it's some days, I mean, it's it's kind of a grind following this team. Yeah.
2: I, I agree, especially when you look at um, again, how well the underlying numbers are with how much that does not match up when you watch team when you watch each individual game uh, and you'll see them like okay yes they're out shooting the opponent but they're still they're still not doing those little things correctly like crowding the crease screening those shots cycling the puck um and it i don't it's just one of those things where you do right now you expect the worst and when they win a game you're like oh wow that was great
1: Everything's fine. Now. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Which, and, and again, it's weird because they're still, you know, they're teetering between, you know, uh, three and fifth in the conference, which is a very hard conference. And you might not even count first place because the Dallas Stars have run away with the top spot, and no one's probably going to catch them. So we got two, three, four, five. They're going around that against the Central Division. I think that's still pretty good, but it's not good enough.
1: No, we're lucky right now because. Ne- cause Chicago's struggling, St. Louis is getting hurt, mm-hmm. Minnesota's yeah, been okay, and the Pacific's just a big pile of meh. Listen to Finn on a fun note. Arnold's country, country number 5. Arnold's Country Kitchen's opening up a second location around Green Hills. They're one of the best places around Nashville to get lunch. Chris Link, John Garcia. What's your favorite place in Nashville to have lunch?
2: To have lunch.
0: Hmm. I, when I'm when I'm eating, I mean so it's weird. So when I mean, if I think like, because I'm typically in the Donaldson area because I work
1: in the Donaldson area. So if I'm using NAS as my my just your favorite main, say if you're gonna go meet somebody to go have lunch somewhere, it could be anywhere in the city. If you want to stay loyal to Donaldson, that's, that's no, fun. I don't, I don't. I mean,
0: <laughs> lunch. I don't do a lot of lunches out. I really like um, going to. Uh, sorry, you're asking me about names, and now I'm bad with names. Does, uh, I like to, I, I love going to, to Sano's for lunch before it gets super busy. Um, Sano's is a favorite of mine and then uh, I like Fat Bites at lunch as well.
2: I'm still thinking because... I'll
1: give you mine if you want to buy some time.
2: Yeah, well, I, I know what I'm going to say but go go ahead yeah. anyway.
1: Uh, Judge Beans in Brentwood. Love going to Judge Beans. Like nice little daily dose of brisket or weekly dose of brisket. I wish it was daily. I wish I'd, I had my cholesterol where I would do that now. Getting old. Yeah, uh, if if not there, um, ML Rose really cool place to do lunch. Uh, it's kind of more of like a burger and uh, yeah. See, Rose I've never done so
2: lunch place. there. I've always done like dinner, like happy hour things like that. That's that's more yeah. along my wheelhouse. If I'm gonna go somewhere, I'm gonna go, uh, you know, seven o'clock, get a beer, get a get a nice dinner, um, you know, so that I can go home and grab a cocktail. Uh, yesterday, I, I I mean I mentioned Tower Deli. Um, Just because, like, yesterday I was just craving a sandwich. I was craving a sandwich. And the one that they do, it's called the East Nasty. It's a um, uh, slice of chicken. Uh, Not hot chicken, but it's, like, a little bit of kind of spicy chicken. Um, Then they put some ham on that as well. And then they do uh, pickled jalapenos with uh, habanero sauce on top of uh, uh, whatever type of bread that you want to do. Very good. And I was craving that all week, and I finally got it. And so right now, that is where I want to go for lunch all the time.
1: sounds pretty solid. It is
2: pretty good. And they're, they've got burgers and stuff there. Um, they've mm. got everything And want. They do breakfast as well.
0: We need a citywide ban against using the word East Nasty to name a dish because I know at least like, okay. half dozen restaurants that have something called Same. East Nasty. <laughs> Same. And they're, not, they're not even remotely related anyway.
2: And the thing about that is, is that I wasn't uh, attracted to it by the name. I looked at the ingredients on it and was like, oh, what? Oh, okay. And I'm on the East Nashville Facebook group because that's where I live, okay? They hate the term East Nasty. They
1: were selling bumper stickers how long? Like like several, like, like five or six years ago people started buying? Damn yeah, that, that, that's them. That's hipsterism at its finest. Mm. Damn it. Yeah,
2: it's a very, very weird group. They all just piss and moan about the fact that New developments are coming up and like tearing old junkyard buildings down. What do you think is going to happen when your city is is growing?
1: My grandmother just literally this was about ten years ago. She essentially just let someone just take over the payments on her home. This is in Inglewood off of a uh, Solon Drive, and uh, I drive through there now. And there's like all like where they'll demo the house and then build up two in its place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I could have cleared like about two hundred grand if I just stepped up and took over the payments on it. Yeah, that that sucks. Mm-hmm. This was in the longest episode of the history of the podcast. Thank you guys both for sticking with me through this. Uh, is there anything else before we close up the shop on this one?
2: We should just keep going until the next one. We're probably closer to the start of the next episode than the beginning of this one. I'm so hungry. <laughs>
1: I'm, <laughs> I'm very hungry. hungry. Yeah guys thank you very much uh you can follow him on twitter at 3d link he's chris link you can follow john on twitter at j garcia 36 you can follow myself at dan d bradley you can follow the show at on the four this has been the predcast presented by Lion own internet marketing solutions thank you all very much talk to y'all next week